1: Hi, I'm Craig Forrest, and you're listening to
2: the We Are West Ham podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards (laughs) and James Jones. West Ham are 14th in the league and have eight points from seven pretty heinous looking games. And now surely is the time that we push on and beat all the teams that we are supposed to beat, right? There's a sense of disappointment that we've been narrowly beaten at Anfield and whoever you blame for the defeat, Mo Salah, King Arthur Masuaku, David Moyes or VAR, it's hard not to feel positive at the moment. I'm Will Pugh, I'm joined by James Jones and Tom Edwards and in case anyone was wondering, why i did that peculiar bbc radio 4 style introduction i would just like to give a big shout out to steve shepherd from melbourne australia who got in touch as we always encourage all of our listeners to do every single week on twitter get in touch with us with feedback give us reviews on all of our major platforms because we love hearing from you guys and james jones who was dug out a couple of weeks ago by phantom hammer for and I quote, uh, having the sort of voice that could cure insomnia. I believe I'm right in saying that. jonesy well, Steve Shepherd from Australia, absolutely delighted to have him listening from overseas. Has oh, I'm not sure. I'll put it to the lads whether he's trumped Phantom Hammer or not. But a uh, bit of feedback from Steve last week read thus: New listener lads, been enjoying the podcast. However. Constructive criticism, the you isn't necessary for the intro. Sounds like a dying giraffe. <laughs> Just a casual, you are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast would be enough, in my opinion. Great pod, though. Cheers from Melbourne, Australia. Well, Steve, I hope that my new intro this week was uh, appropriate for you. James Jones and Tom Edwards, delighted in drawing my attention to your message during the week. But we are thrilled to uh, have your feedback and have you as a new listener to the podcast. We did strike a deal on Twitter uh, with Steve. I said, fair play, Steve. Glad to have you on board. How's this for a deal if you write along? Uh, If you write those words with a five-star review on whatever platform you listen, I I promised him that I'd cut down the you this week and give him a shout out. So we've opened the podcast with that. Um, Jonesy, do you think my Radio 4 intro this week is better than my you are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast? (laughs) And which, by the way, I picked up off Charlie Hawkins, former host of the uh, West Ham show and the We Are West Ham podcast on Love Sport Radio. But how are you? What do you make of my new Radio 4 persona?
3: Good, thanks, mate. And um, yeah, uh, well, I think you probably need to. You've, you've gone a little bit the other way there, mate. I mean, if Phantom Hannah thinks I could cure insomnia, I don't know what. I don't know what that intro could do. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, the the dying giraffe thing. I mean, I've never heard of giraffe die, but it's probably <laughs> accurate um but yeah that's got to be that definitely trumps phantom hammer for me yeah um yeah i think you've um yeah
2: i mean it's good intro mate though
3: good thanks
2: do you you like the look you like the the posh the posh twang to my voice that time did you just live it up a little bit next time right fair enough fair enough look tom as the only person uh who hasn't been um, dug out on Twitter yeah, which is a bit disappointing I would of course urge all the, we Ham, <laughs> all the We Are West Ham all the We Are listeners yeah. that if you have got anything at all negative to say about Tom please do make those comments public um, either email we are West pod at gmail.com but preferably put it on Twitter so uh, all three of us and the world can see it Tom are you, are you having the Radio 4 or do you miss my trademark you are listening
4: Listen, I, I'm, I'm I'm a man of old school old school tastes and Will, get it back, mate. Get it back. Put away with that BBC rodeo for I need that you. I don't feel... I'm not on the edge of my seat. When you get that you going, I get going, do you know what I mean? I, I need a little bit of that. So, mate, you, you're not getting rid of that that easier. I'll be on to you next week. But I love anyone who wants to say a bad word about Will Pugh. Get it on Twitter. Get it out there because it makes me laugh all week. If ever I'm sad, I'll take a look at that tweet and it made me happy. But it was brilliant.
2: Absolutely. Well, massive uh, kudos to Steve from Melbourne, Australia, who's listening in. Hello, as ever, to uh, all of our all of our listeners, young and old, uh, from near and from afar. Brilliant. Uh, obviously, to hear from the guys who listen overseas, and hello to any new listeners jonesy we've got a little bit of a a strange podcast tonight a new opening of course and uh for those listening at home it'll be a little bit of a strange order because you're with us for the introduction but uh for our huge guest that we've got on tonight another ex-player that we've got for you on the we Are stand podcast we've got uh, iconic West Ham goalkeeper from the nineties calling in from Toronto in Canada, none other than Craig Forrest. Um, but you're here for the intro uh, part one of the interview with Craig, just me and Tom had to do. And then you'll dip back into the podcast in part three. Can you explain to everyone at home that it's not, they're not going crazy. Uh, their podcast platform, mm-hmm. wherever they listen, isn't broken. We are West Ham podcast is fine, uh, but there's just been a little bit of a scheduling Uh, confusion
3: yeah it's just i've just had one of those days where i I missed i missed the beginning of the the the, um the the chat with with craig Forrest, and obviously then we've we've gone back to to do the intro so it's all a little bit up in the air
2: it's all this technical um, stuff the fans don't see james isn't it
3: yeah i mean it's the the trials and tribulations of, of, of of running a Successful and popular podcast, isn't it, mate? Um, <laughs> and all glitz
4: and glamour. It's not uh, all an uh, yeah.
3: and glamour. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's not all. Yeah, but yeah, I, it makes for decent listening either way. I get introduced twice, which is always nice, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I've asked you how you are twice. Yeah, yeah. I get to I
3: get to put people to sleep twice in one podcast. <laughs> yeah. What Don't, What more exactly. could the listeners want? What more could the <laughs> listeners want? Going into lockdown, and I'm putting people to sleep twice
2: exactly never mind uh ex west ham goalkeeper craig forrest a double dose of james so yes yeah, so anyone listening at home do not worry uh, in part 2 and then when it's just me and tom talking to craig uh, there is a little bit more at play but james is back in part 3 so do not switch off do not get to part 2 and think i'm not listening to Tom and Will and Craig Forrest, I need a bit of James Jones in my life. Do not fear, because he does come back in part three. So, if if, if nothing else, just skip forward about ten minutes or so, and uh, and he'll be back. Uh, one other thing uh, that is worth mentioning: Craig Forrest, he didn't get the memo that we normally send out, unfortunately, on the we Are West Stand podcast about swearing. So, if you are of uh, a nervous disposition or that sort of thing does offend you. Tonight's podcast does include uh, some swear words, which we usually try and avoid. So if that's not your thing, uh, this week's episode might not be for you, but don't worry. Next week, we'll be back to our normal clean pre-watershed image, but uh, just a warning in case anyone doesn't want to listen to that sort of thing. uh, There is some swearing later on from Craig, but lads, uh, brilliant show tonight. The uh, interview with Craig Forrest, loads of things um, that we've asked him about, and it was it was brilliant. You'll hear it later on in the show, of course. Probably one of uh, all of us, one of our favourite interviews. Uh, anecdotes from Paolo Di Canio, his goalkeeping colleague, Shaka Hislop, and Ludo McClosco gave us his thoughts on the Liverpool game at the weekend. VAR was it a dive from Salah or was it not? Um, and a look ahead to the Fulham game this Saturday night at London Stadium. We'll have all of that with Craig, of course. We will have Joe on from the Fulhamish podcast for the Opposition View to preview that game on Saturday. We'll have the Betway Charity Bets. No winners last week from me, James Tom, or Tony Cotty. We'll talk about the Sebastian Haller situation. How do you solve a problem like Sebastian? We, of course, ask the we are West Ham. Um, listeners for their thoughts and we sent out a poll earlier today and we just simply asked who was to blame for the defeat at Liverpool and we'll of course uh, cover the West Ham women and name that game later in the show so loads to cover but uh, lads James first of all um, lovely to have you again Liverpool what were your immediate thoughts after the game?
0: I
3: thought we were were unlucky Um, Salah's bought a penalty uh, not for the first time in his career uh i don't i think when you've got a situation like that where a player's made contact yeah absolutely um var should be should be looking at that that's what var's for i mean are, are we going into a game where you can't touch the opposition player in the penalty box um particularly with the part of the part of the body where you're supposed to be playing with um so yeah he's bought bought the penalty it happens We've seen it happen. The frustration is that VAR didn't overturn the decision, but I think it was a it was an okay performance. And had we left Anfield with a point, I don't think even Liverpool or Jurgen Klopp would have been, you know, would have really begrudged us a point. Um, so a lot of positives to take. I think. I think you know we've gone to Liverpool many times in the past and have been turned over. This time we haven't, and we've we go into this Fulham game at the weekend with a lot of confidence. already.
2: Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I do, I do think, Jonesy, the the talk has all been this week about the dive, or was it a dive? Wasn't it a dive? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. We'll cover that in more detail with Craig. But the thing I can't get away from, which I think is worth talking about, and I think he's escaped criticism for, is Pablo Fornells when he's through on goal in the second half at one all. Uh, he's got it's two on one, him and Bowen against the keeper. Bowen is screaming for the ball five yards to his left and if he slides it across it's an open goal and he elects to shoot and and it gets closed down I find that more annoying than the penalty I I think it's you know Masuaku it's the way of the game at the moment whether we agree with it or not that that should be a penalty We'll, we'll cover that in more detail later in the show he shouldn't he shouldn't kick out. You just don't get that close to him. Don't give him the chance. It's such an easy thing to say. But it was a bit of a lazy foot and Masuaku just stops as soon as Salah goes down. Tom, what's your take on on those things just briefly? Because we'll, we'll, we'll go into it a little bit more. But what was your sort of feeling on those things and your general thoughts after
4: the game? Overriding, mate. Was very happy to be in another game against a top six side who ran away with the league last season And, and to be very competitive, arguably the better team in the first half, not even arguably the better team in the first half. We created chances throughout. We're a very, very solid team right now. When we play in that system and we play against teams who are going to dictate the ball, we are probably the hardest team in the minute to break down and create chances against because we defend tight, compact, we don't give space. We let them play wide. And we got big blokes in the box who are going to defend crosses. And I think that we've come together and we've got team spirit, which allows us to defend very well against the top six. My only thing going into the next weekend it isn't any doubt in those players and their ability. It's just in, in the way the game's going to go In that we're going to have the ball. Fulham are going to sit a bit deeper. We're going to have, we've averaged 34% possession in the last four or five weeks and the weeks we've done very well. So having a ball being it being the ones who've got to make things happen, seeing seeing what we can do then. Now I'm not saying we can't do it, it's just a question mark and, and I, it's there to be proved by the by the team that they can do. We've got the armory, we've got Thomas Susek will win headers against Virgil van Dyke, Joe Gomez and Michael Hector and their Anderson and whoever it is, he'll win headers against. So we've got a weapon. We've just got to use a bit more flair, a bit more creativity and a bit more subtle. Like you said, that four hours type of thing is the type of thing which you've got to get right next week because they'll be sitting back and we won't be creating clear-cut chances on the break like that. So you just got to hope that the Moyes has the ability and the armory to change it and uh, realise that we can make things happen as a front foot side as opposed to being a back foot side. He's going to defend, but no complaints about what Absolutely. I saw last week.
2: All right, just quick fire then, lads. Jonesy, uh, Saeed Ben Rama. Does he start the weekend? Just, just really quick. Um, does he start? Does Haller start? Does Yarmolenko start? Does now start? What, what are you saying for Fulham uh, Saturday I'd, night?
3: I'd like to see. Ben Ben Rama start this week. I thought he came on way too late at Anfield. Yep. Um. I I would I would bring him in for um for Fornells. Fornells has, has had a really good season so far, but. Bring him in just to see what see what he can do, um, yeah. I th- I th- that's how I'd play. Or you bench Haller, even though I think Haller should start. Play Bowen through the middle, and then play Fornaus and, and ben Rama either side. Um, and that's a that's a pretty good front three, to be fair. Um, it's just I I, I, th- I have a feeling he'll still stick with Haller because um, he, he needs that goal for his confidence, and he'll fancy himself against
2: Fulham.
4: Tom. I think he'll stick with the same and I think rightly so. I think we'll get more bo- more crosses in the box next week. I think they'll defend a bit deeper. Haller will get more chances within the width for the 18-yard box. He won't have to do channel running. Um, I'm with Jonesy. If I was picking, I might go with that but I just think if we're going to have the line of the game, Haller has to play and get balls in the box the way Cresswell and Masawak have been doing all year and uh, it'll come up trumps because he can hurt any team in the air. I don't care who it is. Haller's got a lot of quality and he's just waiting to break out.
2: Okay, just uh to hopefully need a, it would need a bit of a change of system, won't it, just to play a little bit more direct. And if that's going to work, such an age old thing in football, if that's going to work, you need the players around him. I think Bowen is buzzy enough um to get in and around <laughs> Hello, whether it's Ben Rama or Fonels, I I wouldn't start Ben Rama. I think you bench him again. Yeah, you, you can't destroy Fonels' confidence. He's been really good. He scored at Anfield last weekend. All right, he should pass across to Bowen, but he's been really good this season. He's just coming into his own, I think it's too much of a risk destroying his confidence like that when, you know, it is Fulham as well you could take him off after 60 minutes or whatever and it's not so much of a snub, even if Moise does want to play Ben Rama instead and uh, even though, Jonesy, you keep backing Bowen to score every week um, he's, 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 he's not as uh, not as dangerous in front of goal in my opinion as now's but We'll go into all of that in more detail in the rest of the show. Like I say, we'll have Joe Santon from the Fulhamish podcast on to give us a view from the opposition. But lads, we did uh, a shirt giveaway, a West Ham shirt for this season, uh, home away or third kit. And I'm delighted to announce on the podcast that Chrissy. Uh, at Coffers WHU, West Ham season ticket holder in block 230. She's got a soft spot for Manchester City and she's hashtagged her Twitter bio, hashtag GSB out. But Chrissy has won the West Ham shirt for this season. We'll be in touch with her to whether she wants the home away or third kit, but uh, do keep an eye on us on Twitter. Follow us at we are underscore West Ham because we will have a load more giveaways for you, the We Are West Ham listeners to get involved with. Throughout the season, but massive congratulations to Chrissy who wins the replica shirt of her choice for this season. Uh, Lads, as well as Twitter, the fans can, of course, watch us and the shows this season on YouTube. Uh, The YouTube channel. Sorry, the YouTube videos go up slightly later than the actual podcast. They go up some point early uh, to mid-Wednesday afternoon. The shows go up on YouTube. But if you fancy seeing me and the boys and tonight's guest, Craig Forrest, in the flesh or almost in the flesh, seeing us instead of just listening head to the uh, link to our youtube channel which is in the description to this podcast it's we are west ham podcast on youtube uh, follow us on twitter at we are underscore west or on instagram as well uh, do give us a review if you can we had that brilliant twitter review of course from steve who's agreed to give us a five star and put that uh, acute criticism of my introduction and delivery to the podcast. I don't care what you say, if you put it alongside a five-star review, we are more than grateful. And like we said, it's Tom Edwards' turn to get dug out on this podcast. So uh, feel free to do that. And one thing that we always say, don't we, Jonesy, is that um, as much as all of that stuff really does help, we do appreciate the reviews. Just tell someone about what we're doing. Sorry, what? just i say just uh just just tell someone about the we are west Ham podcast oh
3: right yeah sorry um yeah obviously That's
2: flawless flawless flawless
4: yeah, seamless
3: seamless just like what's been what we're doing we're chatting about west Ham, mate <laughs> um yeah no yeah obviously yeah it'd be great to spread the word um tell your mates if they haven't already heard of us then um make sure that they're subscribing, leaving reviews. Um, Get on our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You name it, we're on it. Um, You name the platform, we're on it. Um, So, yeah, tell your mates um, to listen, particularly to this week because it's an absolute gem to this episode with Craig Forrest.
2: Exactly. Yeah, some brilliant anecdotes coming your way. Paolo Di Canio, Shakir Ludo go to name but a few. So, brilliant show coming up tonight. And uh, Craig Forrest, former Canadian international and West Ham backup keeper, is coming up next. <laughs> You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards, and we are delighted to be joined this week by West Ham's iconic goalkeeper from the 90s. I remember it most for his outstanding hair. You'll all have your own personal memories of the one and only Craig Forrest. Craig, absolutely brilliant to be uh, joined by you this evening. Just so everyone at home listening, where exactly is it that you're dialing into the We Are West Ham podcast from?
1: Uh, I'm pers- uh, right now I'm in Toronto, Canada and uh, just bunkered down like everybody else around the world really with this pandemic and yeah I used to when I was at West Ham I uh, definitely had better hair than I do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: well, well that's uh, not for me to say I don't think it's fair for me to kick off the uh, podcast by insulting you so perhaps we'll leave that for part two but it's uh, it's wonderful to have you with us nonetheless Tom. As always, uh, brilliant to have a guest of Craig's Calibre on the podcast. We've done our little introductory opening thoughts there, Tom, on what we thought of the Liverpool game last week. Craig, I'd be interested to sort of get your outlook on the whole thing. It was, from my perspective, another great game, another great performance from the boys. And I think to come away disappointed by only losing by a goal... At, um, at Anfield is is just testament to where the club are at this season. What are you yep. making for what what have you sort of made of it all from uh, from overseas?
1: Well, first of all, I think that uh, you know, with the start of the season as difficult as it was, um, we looked at that Newcastle game, first game of the season, as really important to pick up three points. It was a terrible performance, and I think most of us were thinking, is it possible that this club? our club could be at the bottom of the Premier League with zero points after six or seven games uh, with an incredibly tough schedule. Um, From that, they've really come on and cracked on to a point where they're certainly really well organized. They seem to know what they want to do. Moises seems to have a game plan. And, yeah, it was a a game where, you know, when when you're sitting back and you're bunkering back, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, just how, you know, you you are inviting – possibilities of being broke down and and sometimes I like to see a little bit more aggressive uh type of style. Uh but saying that, the chances were there. There were some opportunities in the game where it could have been different, separated away from the Salah penalty, which was soft. That's another topic altogether. But overall, you're going to the champions and you only lose by a goal um and in a place where they haven't lost for an awful long time. It was a, a promising result and with a good schedule coming up. Um, Let's hope that they can capitalise on that, starting with form.
2: I think that's exactly it. I think that's the, the one thing that everyone's been talking about in the week is the, is the penalty. Tom, obviously, we'll get mm-hmm. your, get your thoughts on it as well. But Craig, just what do you think of the penalty? There seems to be differing camps of thought. One, one group of people saying, well, no, that is a penalty. He's made contact. I don't think anyone's arguing that, that he's made contact. Everyone agrees that. So you've got the people who go, yep, it was a penalty. He made contact. There you go. Contact in the box. That's it. And another group of people going, yeah, but is that what we want football to look like? The, yes, he touched him, but that's nowhere near enough to make a grown man fall to the floor in the manner that he did or fall to the floor at all, regardless of the manner. And or, and do we want football to be like, certainly like when you played, Craig, where a penalty or a foul was because an action by an opponent stopped progress and caused that person to fall over or stop running or stop doing a piece of skill they were doing? From my perspective, none of that happened. What, what's your take on it all?
1: Well... First of all, you're right, we have to decide on what we want to see because clearly it wasn't enough to pull down a grown man. Um, was it contact? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that too. That is absolutely the case. Um, but from a VAR point of view, I thought the whole point of that was to, uh, to see what was real and what wasn't. And now, on the other hand, we will, would you see a penalty unless somebody hits the ground? Um, unfortunately, you don't. Sometimes you can see shirts being pulled, people don't embellish, but the referees aren't giving the penalty. So players are now in a position, well, unless I hit the deck, I'm not going to get the penalty. So until we start seeing penalties given without people embellishing or, or hitting the deck, um, that's going well, what we have to decide on what we want to see. Um, I personally don't like it. I thought the whole idea was, I mean, the game is a contact sport. There's going to be some contact. Are we going to decide on whether that is minimal in the box and we're going to give penalties? That's clearly the way VAR seems to be going. So we're going to just see more and more people hit the deck in the box because the actual what you're getting out of it compared to the downside of diving, even if you get a yellow card, is just that. So there's a big upside to the dive in the box, the flop, and there is a downside to it. Maybe we need to make it the other way around, make it more, uh, give more of a penalty to people that actually do try to embellish and hit the deck.
4: Greg, going back to the actual game, you said that we went into our bunker and it did seem like that for 60 minutes. You put that down partly to the fact that we missed Antonio. We didn't have an out-ball, someone who can run the channels and have his less dynamic, sort of relies on straight balls, winning their first headers. And he wasn't really able to do that. Do you think that, we changed tactics or is just the fact that Hanna can't simply do Antonio's job that he's asked to do under Moyes?
1: No, you, you make a good point. I think that that, that massively played into into a, into the part of how they win about a game against Liverpool, for sure. Um, no question about that. Um, and you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, uh, depending on how you play against teams. I mean, uh, Man City's a similar team if you bunker in... Uh, you're just waiting for trouble, but if you come at them you're going to get broke down too so uh, when you're short of a player that's a, that dynamic, obviously that's going to change your game plan and put you into a position which they they did very well I mean, they stuck to it very well as a team and that's promising uh, looking uh, looking forward
2: Craig my I've, I've touched on it in the intro there Tom where we chatting about it. <laughs> The, the thing for me, I'm a big advocate of personal responsibility in life in general, not just, just football. And I take on the same mantle. I try to when talking about West Ham. And whilst all the VAR chat is most cheat? Could should Arthur Masawaku have, have put his foot out in that position? While all that's been going on, the main takeaway that I had from the game was not whether or not VAR was right or whether Salah dived or the state of football these days, blah, blah, blah. It was more, well, if Pablo Fornals knocks the ball across to Jared Bowen, I think, when he was through on goal in the second half when the scores are still 1-0, it's a completely different conversation we're having. I know he put us 1-0 up, but I think it seems to have been glossed over. But to me, that was a huge error, an absolutely huge error. The pass was glaringly obvious for all to see and I, that's my main takeaway I, I don't think I think the, the the VAR chat and the penalty chat is is neither here nor there because if that goes in you get a win or at least a point out of the game
1: yeah no I totally agree games are about moments in them as well it's about a little bit of quality and I think if that opportunity happens down the other end uh, Liverpool score it um, it was uh, it was definitely on it was something that had to be done it was think split-second decision, but if that pass was laid on, it would have been certainly a goal, you would imagine, and uh, how different the game could actually be. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so you, you talk about VAR all you like. And also, when we talk about VAR and Salah's situation, I, I mean, we, it's easy to be blinded by, you know, blind faith in, in West Ham, but uh, really thinking about this subjectively, and, and not just our West Ham, but just how the game and how VAR is going down the road, it, it, regardless of who it happens to. It could happen to Liverpool against West Ham too. So it's just how that happened. But you're right about the game. Um, little moments. But promising result just the same, even though they lost.
4: Craig, going forward, so we have played five at the back this season and they only came in after the Newcastle game. It's been great for these top six. We've been brilliant. We've been very hard to beat. But next week, we've got Fulham. Week after that, I think it's... Sheffield United, the Aston Villa. Is it going to be inhibiting when we've got Rice and Suchek, brilliant midfielders in their own right, but they're not the most creative players? Is it going to come into play that we might need to look at doing something a bit different? Because we, are, we do defend deep. We don't have much ball and we look very dangerous on the counter-attack. But Fulham aren't going to give us that space and they're going to defend deeper, so it's going to be a completely different game. Yeah. Is there an argument to suggest that we need to change something personnel-wise or formation-wise because... We need to create chances, and we're going to have the ball majority of that game, you'd like to think.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a very good point. Um, and when you're changing from going into playing so many good teams and really strong teams, where you're going to play uh, deep, you're going to play five at the back, um, and then try to change in a manner where, and Fulham will know this as well, that this is going to be a completely different thing. And it might be you know, them sitting back on West Ham and having the players and the ability to break that down is not easy. Uh, as we know, um, back in the day, you know, with, uh, with the West Ham team that I played for, some teams would sit back at and park against us uh, because of the call that we had in midfield, the call that we had up front, and we were dangerous in those ways too. Uh, so you need some ability, you need some quality, you need some inventiveness to be able to do that, and uh, it's going to be completely different than uh, what we've seen. And Fulham are coming off a good result against mm-hmm. West Palmage Albion too, so um, they're going to be flying high and think that their opportunity for three points is there as well. Um, so how Moyes and the, the staff go about putting into a position where they, uh, they create some more chances will be very interesting indeed and you're right about the side needing to have some uh, have some creative t- creativity in it.
2: Wouldn't, it. wouldn't that be lovely to see a team come to London Stadium and sit back these days? <laughs> how wonderful that would be to see a team come and, and be fearful of us going forward. I think the last time I really remember that Happening was the last season up to Park, and you had Piatt, Lanzini, and Sacco running riot. But um Craig, we we as we always do every week, we like to get the We Are West Ham listeners involved in the show, and uh, we always put a poll out just before or in the day before we we record. And uh, today, normally, we look forward to the week ahead, be it selection or uh, game you know, the, the style of play with, that the fans want to see David Moyes play. But this week we thought we would have a look back because it was such a contentious uh, decision. And we asked the We Are we Stam listeners this week, just a simple one, who do you think was most at fault for last weekend's 2-1 defeat to Liverpool? David Moyes, Arthur Masuaku, Sebastian Haller or VAR? Now, I am a little bit disgruntled that Pablo Fornells wasn't included in that. But I think as he scored, I, uh, I think the whole reputation of our podcast might have gone down the drain if we'd have put that one on. But uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the We Are West Ham listeners have voted 67% for VAR, 132 for Sebastian Haller, 12.1% for Arthur Masuaku and 77 for David Moyes. Rob has said VAR was awful, but Haller was just as bad. Uh, bring on Yarmolenko and bring on Fulham. How can anyone say halle or Arthur? That's from Iron Bowen. Moyes Boy says uh, it is Liverpool and only a couple of clubs are expected to get a point or three. I think we played well enough. Kevin McAllister, sort of backing what you say, Craig. We sat back far too much against a side that was questionable defensively. The substitutions were too late to make a difference. This is on Moyes. Alan Rezepa, probably Yarmolenko. And <laughs> Mardi simply says anything other. Then VAR is wrong. Tom, what do you? You've heard what, what Craig's got to say yeah. there. You've heard what the We Are West Ham listeners have got to say. What's your What's your sort of
4: main takeaway from the game afterwards? How are you feeling? I think I was a little bit initially at the end of the final whistle. I was quite surprised that we put in, and I'm not surprised, but very happy in a sense that we look a solid team, tough to beat, and we'll go and give anyone a problem. And we look like we've got real togetherness. So I took. Happiness from that. But then I look back at the game and like you said, the four nails on was terrible. He's got to give that ball in it. If his left foot, you'd like to think Bowen scores that seven out of ten times minimum. And then the other one was the right. It's soft and it probably shouldn't have been a penalty in the way. But it's a poor tackle to make from Masawaki. He's going away from goal. It's Salah. He knows he's that type of player. He's going to throw to ground. He's gone through and didn't even show him any of the ball. It was just a stupid tackle. Masawaki played absolutely brilliant all but one second of that game. And one second has cost us and probably cost us maybe getting something out of the game to concede a penalty in the 40th minute when they hadn't had a shot on target, probably looked the least dangerous they've looked in the last two years. And maybe the whole 63 game unbeaten run they had at Anfield. And we've given such an easy way back in the game, confidence flowing. And then we sit deeper and deeper and deeper as the game goes on. That tend tends to be how we play recently. So I think it's not one person to blame. I think it was collective culpability because there was just too many poor mistakes which which change a game and, and the main one was Masoaki for me. I'm not blaming him um, but I just think it's a silly tackle to make. It was soft, shouldn't have been a penalty but if you give in the ref a decision to make against Mo Salah, one of the biggest comment in the league in terms of buying foul, <laughs> he's, he's going to get it and, and he's got he's got what he wants and he got what he played for and he's the man who steps up and slots it away and he he's done his job for the day so I think that was the biggest... Annoyance for me, really. Some call out have...
1: a, they call that an art form, some people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Me. Yeah, up front. But I'm like, oh, Go on.
2: <laughs> tell, us, uh, tell us how you really feel about it next time, though, Tom. Don't beat around the yeah, bush like that. <laughs> Craig, you would tell us um, earlier on, uh, just before we we hit the record button, about an interesting um, sort of part of the game of, uh, of hockey, or ice hockey, obviously the national sport in uh, uh, in your homeland there. Um, it just, just tell us or tell the listeners a little bit more about the concept they have in terms of like simulation and diving. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, kind of an interesting one. And you could argue both ways that it doesn't work or it does work. But if, for instance, on the ice, there's a foul, a hooking penalty, and somebody does what, say, Salah does, feels that contact and flops to the ice, the referees can still say there is enough there for a foul but there is also embellishment and there'll be a penalty for that embellishment of some sort. Um, that could be the case on the seller penalty Uh VAR could say, yeah, I think there was enough contact that that's a foul, but there was clearly embellishment in trying to sell that to the referee. And yeah, we saw that and we were going to get you give you a yellow card or whatever that could be for that. Just a thought, something that certainly works here. Um, in the sport of hockey. So uh, to try to get that embellishment out of the game, I thought that was the whole point of VAR and those blatant dives in the box without contact. Now they're saying, well, there was contact, so it's a foul. I mean, rubbish. They gotta sort it of, they gotta sort that out.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of players, Michael Antonio, the latest West Ham player to come out and call for V A R just to be completely scrapped. I don't think uh, I think we're a little bit too far down the road for that to happen now, of course, but certainly some more um, some more mature I, I, I use I of it, I think.
1: I believe that there's a place for VAR in the game. I really do. It's just how they're implicating it and how they're putting it in and applicating it. So it's it's the it's how they're dealing with that is wrong. But I think it still has a great part to play in the game if it's used properly. I just, and hopefully they'll get to the bottom of it.
4: Yeah, I think I'd right, like to... Well, can I just, Craig, on that, do you think it would benefit, it's, it's not revolutionary, what I'm about to say, but do you think it would help having ex-players on it? I've heard a lot of people say that, because no one understands the game better. Do you think having a panellist of ex-players, or at least one on, would, would change the way VAR is used?
1: Yeah, potentially, it would. Um, but you have, to be, you have to have a certain consistency, too, because even ex-players put in that position, looking mm-hmm. at a VAR situation like that, it could go either way. It really mm. could. So you have to be consistent. You have to say, okay, if that sort of play happens where and there's embellishment to the point where it's not enough to bring a grown man down and there's a contact <laughs> element to this sport still, well then we're gonna to have to look at that and have to change the way they actually use VAR in those situations.
2: That mm. is exactly it, isn't it? You did the, the fact the contact sport part of it. But I did like, I must admit, I did like the referee for the disallowed goal late on for Liverpool before they actually scored. I did like the referee just jogging over <laughs> looking at the screen. I was furious because I thought how as he told him to look at the screen, it's so obvious. But it's it's on the pitch decision then he goes, has another look at what he's already seen. And then mm-hmm. he says, Nope, actually, I missed that. Yep, foul. There we go. Yep.
1: Yeah. There there's yeah, there, exactly. A very good example of there about how var was used very well. Mm. And it was a right call in the end. I know some of the commentators, I don't know if there's a saying that we're doing the game over here, but they were I mean, it was clearly a foul on Fabian. Yeah. You can't just just go fucking carrying in on a guy. They're questioning whether it was. It's like I don't. I don't even get why this is even an issue. And I'm glad that the officials got that absolutely right. So yeah, Yeah. it worked well.
2: I had my hands either side of the TV at that stage, just waiting for the goal to be given to launch it out the window if it had, and that would have been me with football forever. um tom i uh yeah. i think i think we're all agreed as far as um the var goes Ev- everyone's thoughts are clear it's unfortunate but don't you think uh, i think craig's touching it there mm. we've touched on it in the intro it's just it's brilliant isn't it to to be back disappointed to only lose by one at anfield we're 14th in the table which again doesn't mm. sound fantastic but the games we had were really challenging everyone knew that and the the it just feels, it's hard not to be quite positive at the moment, even though, you know, if you're an outsider, you looked at the league and went 14th, two wins, two draws, and three defeats from seven, I think it is. Um, uh-huh. If you look at that from the outside, then, you know, it's hard not to be positive at the moment, Tom, isn't it?
4: Absolutely, mate. And when when you've when we've scored as many goals as we had, I think we're top six goal scorers in the league, despite playing last season's top six effectively, or or most of the Champions League, contenders already this season. Um, we've won away at Leicester. You look at them yesterday at Leeds and everyone else calling them a proper, proper side. Them and Wolves are in the top four. We both, we really did a number on both of them and really quite comfortably beat two very, very top sides. And then Spurs, we only turned it on for 10 minutes, looked great. City, we were well worth the point if the first half went our way and we maybe stuck another one in. Who knows? We could have had three extra points. So, mate, so many positives. The front three is starting to gel when it was Antonio in there. Those three look like they all know their jobs. As a defensive unit, very, very positive. We've conceded the one of the least goals in the season as well. Bar um, Arsenal who's conceded seven or something like that. So we've had a brilliant start in a number of aspects. And like you say, 14th is a bit disappointing, but a win on a win on Saturday, I think it's Saturday 8pm, it changes everything. And then you've got Sheffield United and then you've got Villa. And, and if you get three wins there, then you're really starting to look at a, a positive Christmas run. And who knows from there, if you end Christmas and you're really in amongst the European hunt, then honestly, who knows? Because we've got the players there to to make things happen and do it. And now I think Moyes is starting gradually to impart a bit of belief in this squad and the fan base and get a bit more of a positive atmosphere. So it's complete far, far, way far away from where I thought we'd be speaking at the start of this pod this season, mate. I thought we'd be sat here calling for people's heads already and whatever, but we're not. And it feels weird, but it feels great.
1: <laughs> absolutely. It's, that. One those, it's one of those situations guys really where it's not really the position of the table as important it's how many points you picked up in that in that period of time and you're absolutely right now mm. it's just about when you're looking forward to these other schedules the team still has to go through the process of getting the points so it's very important obviously that they actually capitalize now on a, on a schedule that's in their favor and mm. uh, we know that that doesn't always happen and uh Obviously, playing in a, in, a, in a derby against Fulham is going to be a very difficult proposition, even though West Ham look like the favourite.
2: In uh, in seven games' time, Craig, after these seven supposedly winnable games that we've got coming up, we're going to play back that clip and we're going to go. Yeah. Ah, do you remember? Do you remember at the beginning of November we had? Uh, iconic West Ham goalkeeper Craig Forreston, on brilliant to have him on it was really feel good factor at the club and here's what Craig said it's really important to build on these next seven games that are winnable and look at us now <laughs> I can just see it
1: yeah, either that or top six who knows
2: yeah, there yeah. you go there you go a bit of uh, I like this this transatlantic positivity we've injected into the show this week Tom it's certainly not something yeah he's where...
1: not drinking
4: our water that's for sure he's, he's not <laughs> had our water <laughs>
1: yeah that I don't a... come on after the Newcastle game because I bet that was different
4: <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> Yeah,
2: somewhat of a different tone, that's for sure. But look, Craig is uh, delighted to say that Craig's going to stay with us for a little while longer. We'll ask him uh, about the Fulham game at the weekend. And of course, we won't waste the opportunity to ask him about his time at West Ham, some of his teammates and uh, what he makes. Of the goalkeeping situation at West Ham at the moment, with many suggesting that perhaps Lucas Fabianski's time may come to an end at the end of this season or next, and that it's time to start looking ahead given his age. we will love all of that and lots more next. <laughs> You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards, James Jones, and iconic West Ham goalkeeper joining us from Toronto, Canada. It's none other than Craig Forrest. Craig giving us the lowdown on the Liverpool game there, his views on VAR, and Tom blaming His Royal Highness King Arthur Masuaku for the defeat at Anfield. Such blasphemy. I'm not sure what sort of punishment. That, uh, that sort of those sort of words, that sort of heresy, entails from Tom Edwards there, but I'm sure there'll be appropriate kickback on Twitter from uh, Arthur's loyal subjects. We'll Fulham at the weekend, Jonesy. Just to let everyone know, James Jones uh, had to join us late, but we're absolutely delighted that he's uh, managed to peel himself away from his very hectic, busy professional lifestyle that he leads, combined with a family life. Jonesy, wonderful to see you, mate. How are you?
3: Yeah, good thanks guys. Um yeah, sorry I'm late. Um just been one of those days where work and work and parenthood get on top of you. Um yeah. so yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, just been one of those hectic days. But I'm I'm here now. Here to uh here to talk positive stuff about West Ham.
1: We've got Sounds, Craig. Like West Ham. Sounds like a
3: West Ham game you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're actually right, Craig. Yeah, I mean the i most, felt like that throughout the day. A West Ham fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like a parallel.
2: We've got, we got Craig Forrest dialing in, managing to dial in from the other side of the planet, Jonesy, and uh, you can't even get on Zoom from uh, from Wood. But it could be worse. We've still got Tom Edwards as part of the We Are West Ham podcast. So the bar for uh, punctuality is, of course, extremely low. But back to football. Craig, one thing before we go on to the specifics about the Fulham game. One thing while we've got you here. I, I've noticed recently and... Uh, everyone who's linked with West Ham will be aware of how celebrated Mark Noble is. And now Declan Rice, who's coming through as well. Mark Noble in particular, because he was a boyhood West Ham fan. When you were playing for the club, there was still that spine of not so much English guys or British guys, but actual West Ham supporters as well. John Monker, who uh, we're hoping to get on in the coming weeks, hoping to have him tonight, but unfortunately couldn't nail him down uh, last minute. but you had that spine of, of players in your team who were West Ham fans first and foremost, and but you know English guys who sort of understood how how the club worked and how the league worked. Do you think nowadays, obviously Mark Noble is, is one of a dying breed of that sort of one club man. That doesn't really happen anymore. And if you look at, at West Ham's squad at the moment, it's it's obviously multinational, but after Noble goes, you're going to lack any at all like boyhood West Ham fans. How do you think, Uh, you know that affects clubs these days because i'm sure i'm assuming well tell us when you were there you had people who who cared really really cared about the club because it had always been part of their life
1: yeah and even ones that wasn't part of their life all the time were Paolo de canio i mean he he fell in love with west ham truly fell in love with west ham he still loves the club today um and that was helped by the guys like you know, Sinclair and John Moncur and and Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard and Michael Carrick and all these players who came through the youth system there too and also had a connection to West Ham. Not all of them, but certainly knew the importance and what it meant to the fans. And, and I think that's important. It, it also goes to ownership as well. I mean, we've always had, say always, up until recent decades, we've had ownership that had usually a stake or some emotional stake in football clubs and that connection to the clubs Uh, I think we've lost that in a lot of uh, aspects, uh, certainly with the rich owners from the United States and Russia and the Arab world as well. So you've lost that and also they're caring for what is actually right for football and not just what's right for their own clubs and their own interests. Um, So it all plays a part. It's important to have that connection I think as a a fan and have local players playing. Uh, Hopefully that will happen again at West End. I'm absolutely sure it will. But as the game has changed, more multinationals come into, into to the uh, Premier League, you're going to see a difference and maybe a, a case where players are coming and they don't really get taught, they don't know the whole fabric and the culture of, uh, of the area or the team itself. Now, whether they perform or not, that's down to them they have to perform it's it they're looking after their own trade their own marks uh, you know their their own brand themselves so they're going to perform regardless of that but i think when you add that little bit of extra to it and uh, what i learned from west ham from john lyle that went to ipswich uh, phil parks was my goalkeeper coach uh, mick mcgiven was my assistant coach so real connection to west ham there going before i even moved to west ham um in 1997 I knew the importance of it I knew the excitement of around the club and I couldn't have dreamt of going to a, a, a better club as far as what it means to the area and the fans hey,
3: Do you think that obviously West Ham moved stadiums what, I think it's what four four or five years ago and obviously when you played at the club and obviously all those players that you've mentioned and that Will mention that you know, it wasn't just, you know, knowing what it meant to play for West Ham, but also sort of knowing the history of the ground and, and knowing the history of the area. And obviously West Ham was part of part of Green Street, part of the bowling ground and everything else. And obviously so much has changed. The identity of the club's changed. And do you think that just building on, on Will's point and your point just now is that, do you think that now more than ever, figures like Mark Noble, figures like um, even Kevin Nolan, who's part of the coaching staff, uh, particularly when the club, almost feels so much disconnected to its, its its illustrious history. More so now, going into what is supposed to be a, a new era, um, there, it, it's more important to keep l- the likes of Noble at the club, and Rice at the club for as long as possibly can.
1: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and not only that, is, uh, having backroom staff that uh, also have that connection to the club too and, uh, and can relay that to players as well uh, and the story and the history. I mean, I was a historian. I, I mean, when I came to England in 1984 uh, at Ipswich Town, from that time on, I always wanted to learn about the history of Ipswich and the league and the, and the history of clubs and, and, and took an interest in that um, because the history is amazing. I mean, you guys all grew up West Ham fans, you know where it came from, where it started. Uh, And that is important to you. And it's part of the fabric. It's not necessarily the winning of the league that keeps you at West Ham. It's because your grandfather and your grandfather and your great granddad always the game and that history. And you sat it up in park in a certain area, chicken run, wherever, for years and years. And generation after generation, that was the case uh, in the same area of the park. So now you've changed that and that's now going to take years before you ever establish that at a stadium like um, at, uh, Olympic Stadium. And there's a reason why football in Italy, for instance, in those giant Olympic stadiums uh, soon fell out of favor. They're just not good for a, a spectacle and unfortunately that's just where West Ham is at the moment it's not going to change we have to get on with it and also winning makes a big difference as well if the team starts to win and you're in that state I don't think it's going to matter where where uh, where you're playing um, but that iconic Upton Park is much as it was fallen down and rough around the edges was was an incredible special place and uh, now the new generations will have to uh, learn about and uh, uh, another place, and the atmosphere is going to be completely different. We just can't get away from that. And that's just the way it is, unfortunately.
4: Great, moving to now, and uh, with our keeper situation, your your field of expertise. We've got obviously Fabianski has been brilliant since we brought him. Absolutely brilliant, but his his age is moving forward. He's made a few mistakes in the last eight months. What would your in, you, how long, basically, do you think he can be our number one before it's the sort of situation we need to look to actually lay down a big piece of money on a goalkeeper? Because I don't think we ever have really, except seven million on him. I think that's the record we've yeah. ever paid a goalie. So, yeah, what do you think about Fabianski and moving we, forward?
2: We nearly paid that for Phil Parks, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Phil
1: Parks, what a legend! Legend. Yeah, oh, many,
2: sorry, Craig. Sorry,
1: As well, sorry, Fabianski. Where's he? Thirty-five, right? So he's, um, you know. He looks after himself. Uh, we've seen goalkeepers go into their late 30s. You could get two, three years uh, out of him for sure. Um, that could be the case. But you're going to have to start looking elsewhere eventually, obviously. I liked Adrian too. I, I thought there was a, a time when West Ham, the goalkeeper position was solid and didn't need to change it. Had a good couple goalkeepers, two or three very strong goalkeepers, and that was the case. But now when you're looking at a 35-year-old, you're going to be looking – uh, elsewhere or looking for uh, down the line is in the future about uh, who can support him come in behind him for a couple of years and maybe move him in the first team
2: is that something Craig that you with goalkeepers obviously they can play that a little bit longer Darren Randolph is an excellent backup we saw what a, a catastrophe right. Roberto was last season and is it something that you you really worry about age-wise? Because we have seen goalkeepers play on if they want to. I think Ben Foster's in, in well into his late 30s now at Watford. We've, we've seen goalkeepers play knocking on the door of 40. Gigi Buffon only recently der Sar. retired. Yeah, van der Sar as well. Yeah. Is,
1: you know off. off was 41 I think when he won the World Cup I think you know so yeah it can go I mean one thing about having an experienced goalkeeper is that uh you have that experience uh being I felt really in my career between the ages of 32 and 35 were probably the best years as far as um the experiences that you've gone through, the ups and downs, the roller coaster of emotions that you have as a player, especially a young player, uh, that can be hard to deal with, um, especially, but certainly get used to that. When you're older, you've seen just about everything. Um, and you're just a little happier in yourself and where you are. So you know, all these things play a part into a goalkeeper's mind and their, their mental stability, really, when they're, when they're goalkeeping because it's such a, a mental part of the game. Uh, there's, I've seen some fantastic goalkeepers growing up um, that weren't able to handle the pressures. And what happens when you do make a bunch of mistakes in a row? Uh, because it will happen. And can you get yourself through that? Like a De Gea. For instance, something like that, you know, he didn't have the best year last year, still a great goalkeeper. What is his issues? It's all between the ears. He just has to get through that. And those are the most difficult parts of your career is trying to battle through those demons after making uh, a few makes, a few mistakes in a row
2: just um we'll, I'll, I'll tell you what we'll save it for after we look forward to the Fulham game we'll get the betway charity bets from the lads craig i do want to ask you about roberto last season because i know everyone was quick to hammer him and understandably so but i'd like to get into the head of of someone who you know would would likely understand or certainly got a far better chance of understanding what Roberto was thinking um, last season, how he was feeling coming into the the club and and performing the way he did. But now Jonesy has has joined us. Tom is back together. We'll do the Betway Charity Bets section, as we always do each week before we look ahead to the Fulham game. We've got an opposition view coming up with uh, Joe from the Fulhamish podcast, so we'll cover that a bit later on. But the Betway Charity Bets first. Jonesy, no winners last week. Uh, I think all of us victims, Tony Cotty, of course, on last week's podcast, joining in. And he went for a West Ham win, a Jared Bowen goal and less than eight corners. Uh, none of those things came in, unfortunately. Jonesy, I think uh, you had coup, foul carded Bowen goal and over three and a half goals, not really that close. I think I came fairly close. I said penalty awarded in the game, check to score any time and over four and a half total bookings. The penalty was a no-brainer, if you ask me. We've obviously covered... That already extensively, Tom. Both teams to score over eight and a half corners, and West Ham to win. Um, unfortunately, not listening, <laughs> huh?
4: Not listening to it. It was just uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, not. Um, as I say, unfortunately, no. It was probably our our week where we weren't even close on on any fronts, really, Jonesy. But are you uh, a bit more confident going into this week?
3: Yeah, I am. Um, brief. Comes the end of that. Difficult run of fixtures, haven't we? And going to this this weekend against Fulham, um, which could prove to be a bit of a sticking point. But I'm I'm feeling positive with my with my betway selection for the DT8, um, DT38 Foundation. I've gone for West Ham to win. Um, I think it's the first time I've actually backed us to win this season. Um, <laughs> which probably means we won't. Um, had her to score. Backing my man. Um, he's had a lot of stick a lot of stick over the last couple of weeks since we found out that Antonio was injured and I think it's he's gonna he's gonna you know prove the doubters wrong I think because a lot of people don't think he can deputise properly for Antonio but I'm gonna stay in this corner and over three and a half bookings I think Fulham have got about quite a few yellow cards. Mm. Um and if we play the way we have done um over the last few weeks then we're gonna have a lot of the ball and and you know we might have them on the back foot a little bit and cause them a few problems going forward which could force a few fouls in, in dangerous areas and a couple of bookings, so I'm back in a few yellow cards as well this week.
2: So for the DT38 Dylan Tombeely's Foundation, James Jones there, West Ham to win, Sebastian Haller to score, and more than 3.5 bookings in the game. Thomas, go on. What mm. have you? Uh, what have you gone for this week? Last week, unfortunate. Um, obviously, backing West Ham to win was a bit of a bold one, but uh, you've done the same again this week.
4: Yeah, I'm not sun drunk from Portugal anymore. I've been able to see things a little bit more clearly. So um, I've gone over 2.5 goals. I think just Premier League at the minute, there's bound to be goals with whoever's playing. Gone for West Ham to win, unsurprisingly. I'm pretty sure I've, I've lumped us on every week now because of Chad's suggestion. And uh, did a bit of my research and under, under 8.5 corners. I don't think Fulham we'll have been involved in a game this season where there's been more than eight corners. So hopefully that suggests the way they set up and uh, that, they uh, don't actually concede any corners because I need a win.
2: I like to hear that from you, Tom, doing your research uh, before one of these bets. So you might actually win some money for Isla's fight. Of course, Tom is playing for this season. So we've got some money in the bank already across the three of us. Uh, my selections this week, I've gone for West Ham to win. And officially, James, it is the first time I've backed us uh, this season. Normally I like to steer clear. So, uh, We're doomed, is- don't we don't, do not we this yeah, isn't going to this absolutely. Stay hey, away, you. <laughs> so my money, which is going towards, uh, if it wins, Betway of course give us fifty pound per head uh, as a charity stake to put on a West Ham bet for the weekend, and the winnings go towards the charities that me and the lads are playing for. I'm playing for the Bobby Moore Cancer Fund, and I've gone West Ham to win. Jared Bowen, goal or assist, still in discussions with Betway whether the assist part is allowed. But it'll be Bowen, goal or assist or just a straight-up goal and a goal in each half for that. As always, the Betway selections will be available for fans to back on the Betway bet your way section of their website and app around friday this week but as always we are delighted to have craig Forrest with us and there uh, we're still sorting out with betway at the moment the guest stakes for this week but craig we uh i, I say tony cotty came on last week and uh, he unfortunately wasn't able to pull any money in you've already injected way more positivity into the podcast than we are used to so for your Betway charity bet for this week we're going to ask you three questions uh first of all uh the result of the game so West Ham win Fulham win or draw please
1: uh West Ham by two
2: West Ham uh and any goal scorer from either team so I'm assuming a West Ham one
1: I'll say Haller Sebastian Haller
2: and yeah. uh, more or less than eight corners in the game.
1: Less. Less. Yeah.
2: Jumping on Tom Edwards' research then. So, uh, yeah, Craig, for us, all,
1: all, all four be, of us. There'll be 20 corners you watch. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> so, so, Craig, just quickly, you've mentioned it there. I was going to wait to it later, but it seems like a good time to bring it up. The Sebastian Heller situation. What do you make of it? Jones, he's mentioned that you got a lot of stick after Mikhail Antonio was injured. Uh, Antonio's played fantastically well this season No one's arguing that he should be our number one striker uh, no. There are those who suggest that uh, had The recruitment of Haller was poor recruitment Because he perhaps doesn't fit into the style And he was never going to I'm just intrigued to hear what you make of the whole situation Because I'm although he cost £45 million pounds, I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for him to be honest
1: you know, the Premier League is a, is a difficult league to play in and uh, you know, no matter where we've seen players perform in other leagues around uh, the world, uh, it often is a massive change for them and the step up or even division below the championship to the Premier League. So for Haller, you know, he's got great experience playing around. He's got a great goal scoring record as well. Um, also, probably playing in teams before where he's probably getting a few more chances. So he now needs to make sure that his uh, chances per ratio and goals ratio needs to be better. It needs to get great. And and I think that he can still do it. I I honestly believe that he's a a player that uh, is going to do well for West Ham, um, but he's going to take some time and he needs a bit of confidence and a goal or two is uh, certainly going to help him on his way, but he's not even close to the ratio uh, goal ratio that he had when he was playing in Germany, for instance.
2: Yeah, I I just find it, Jonesy. What what do you you make of it? Because you're saying you're backing him this week. It's just I, I I'm just starting to pity him because I I feel sorry for him now. I know he costs forty five million quid. He doesn't he doesn't pick that that price tag, and he's got a lot of stick. He has put the ball in the net a few times for us. I, I just wonder where do you sit? I
3: think I think a lot. I can see why a few people have have dug him out a little bit and and criticised him, but. I, I, I'm with you, mate. I, I feel a little bit sorry for him. It, it, as you said, he doesn't pick his price tag. It's probably that, that size of price tag, 45 million quid, is probably weighing on his shoulders a little bit. And he's probably equally frustrated that um, since he's arrived at the club, we've not really played to his strengths. We've not played in the system that he was used to playing in Germany. Um, and we've kind of had to kind of crowbar him into the way that, we, that, the way that David Moyes wants to play. And it hasn't really worked for him. But he still has a, a pretty good, goal record i think it works out to be one in one in four um maybe just over that um in terms of in terms of averages so his it's, goal record to
1: his i
3: mean it's not great for the price tag no i completely no. agree but when you consider that particularly this season a lot of his appearances have been off the bench um and even back in the last season he wasn't he wasn't really getting a lot of starts and he, he still managed to he's still had top scorer the season i know the bulk of his goals have come in the cup but I think you need to put a little bit of faith in him he 's proven that you can score goals he 's a, he's a very very good striker um, and with strikers, you know they need to play with confidence and he 's probably a little bit out of confidence as well I
1: think I totally agree uh, you know and again, going back to changing in different leagues and how it works uh, we have a Canadian player that was playing in Belgium. Jonathan David got a quite a big move to Lille in France and he 's eleven games in without a goal now um, and he is just so tight they gave him a penalty last time they thought he would be able to break his duck and he missed that as well so confidence like you say is a massive thing as well and playing in a system that you're familiar with but I think at the end of it they'll get there with them um, again um, it takes some time sometimes to settle into different leagues and, and West Ham is also a team that's going to you know not going to out chance uh, the teams at the top half or the top six of the table very often so uh, taking those opportunities when they come is very important for him he
4: just needs one or two to get himself going guys I'm, I'm sort of with you in the sense that also it's not a help that your manager who, who spends that money on you the one who, who's got the balls to bring you in on that sort of money then then loses his job then you get Moyes in he's found his new man up there and Craig you're in a better place than any of us to say but how much does that play into the psyche of a player sort of when you're brought in by that manager to do a job and then you get someone else in who sort of clearly prefers other people. He's even brought Yarmolenko to play on through the middle and had sat on a bench and had to watch that happen. How much of a confidence shock is that to him firstly? And secondly, in sort of looking around and thinking, am I even wanted at this club by this manager? Is that a thing which comes into play?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it does. Uh- But we also, we have to be realistic in the world that we live in and that managers will change uh, over a period of time. You're going to, I mean, I had, I don't know how many managers I had, five, six, seven maybe, Um, a different uh, national team as well. So it it is one part and parcel of it. Um, Although when you look at, the reasons you're brought in, who brings you in, and you're coming in with that, and then they get they get let go, and you've been left behind a little bit. Obviously, you just got to work your ass off to get yourself back in a position where you're good enough, and where the manager can't ignore you anymore, regardless of whether or not he likes you when you first when he first comes in or not. You mm-hmm. still have to battle through those uh those times of adversity as a player, and mm-hmm. uh, make that manager and that's your job to to give him uh, a real hard. Uh, Questions about whether or not I should be playing or, or not. That's, that's what you can do as a player. The rest of it is down to the manager, of course, but nothing but hard work and graft is going to get you there.
2: Yeah. Mm. Craig, did you ever have, can you think back to your career where you saw, uh, I don't know if that ever happened to you, but where, perhaps whether you saw a player come into a squad that you were in for big money or big money at the time. And the, the price tag just was too much for him, or it just crushed him, even though players don't pick them. Uh, it, was there any time in your career you saw that happen?
1: Um, I would have to think about that. But as far as, far as they're coming in and, and knowing there's a player coming in, but I was at, when I was at West Ham and I was playing, uh, I think I was in the first team at the time when uh, there was word that Shaka. I mean, there was me and Ludo, Um, there and then Shaka Hislop was talked about coming in after the Bosman ruling thing and uh, Newcastle didn't think it was going to happen they left it too long next thing you know Shaka's a free and West Ham were like hey we can pick him up at a decent price certainly cheaper than we would do on the market so then Shaka comes in obviously that was fine Shaka's a fantastic friend of mine even to this day and so is Ludo and most of the goalkeepers got along brilliantly well but you also know as an individual like myself who was brought in really is probably cover for Ludo. Um, and then that happens, you know that, and I was told by Les Seeley at the time, you're going to have to keep playing well and stay healthy because as soon as you make a Rick, they're going to put Shaq in. They're not, he can't talk to the chairman of the club and bring him in for big money and think, well, why did we need a goalkeeper when he's sitting on the bench when Craig was playing well? So you kind of know the situation that you're in and, uh, and the way the Business also works as well, so uh, that that plays a big part of it. But as far as people come in big price tags, um, off the top of my head, I don't remember because I never really played for clubs that could afford big price tags, and that includes West Ham. I mean, Dick- <laughs> still it, does a million, right? It's <laughs> it's a million for De Canio. Yeah, I, I remember the very first trading session when De came in, and uh, and nobody wanted to touch him obviously because it is reputation and pushing referees and whatnot. And he comes in, and his, the first training session, he was just like, he was magical. He was, he was doing stuff like we saw him score off the Trevor Sinclair cross against Wimbledon. Like, he was doing that right away. Remember, Frank Sr. was standing on the other side of the pitch, and he makes this fantastic play, and Frank yells over Frank. He's like, Frank, I got myself a fucking bargain. <laughs> <laughs> True. Absolute bargain. Absolute bargain. Harry loved Harry loved guys that were you know, I think he liked the conflict. He liked an argument. He liked a battle. He liked to he liked to get the best out of bad apples, if you like. Guys that were big characters, you know, the razor ruddocks come in and you know, there's plenty of this and plenty of character and dealing with the likes of John Moncur and DeCanio and Lomas. And holy cry, it was it was just it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, and how he dealt with that really, really well. All the different characters, he actually he did a really good job with it, and uh, was quite happy to bring in somebody that was potentially maybe not somebody else's uh, cup of tea, and uh, and managed to get a, a lot, an awful lot out of them.
4: Craig, how did how did the squad actually take to Canio? when he first walked in? Everything that happened, obviously playing against him, he's probably not made half of them before. Coming in, walking through those doors, and, and how was he welcomed by, by the squad? And how quickly did he fit in and become that main man that obviously he was for the next however long he was at the club?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was the end of his first training session. I <laughs> that
4: was long enough.
1: It, it, was, it was something else, uh, you know. And, and we saw, I wish we had video of all his training sessions because it would have been uh, quite good viewing for West Ham fans just to see, you know, what he did on a, on a daily basis at the training ground. You know, it was mm-hmm. uh, incredible. But the characters of that time. Um, and the star power when Wright even came and the experience of Stuart Pierce and Winterburn, uh, Razor Ruddock, and then also with the young up-and-comers like Rio Ferdinand who fit in really, really well as a youngster and loved the banter, loved all that. Uh, Michael Carrick was a little quieter uh, at that time. Uh, Joe Cole was very, very young, and some of his sessions uh, were pretty impressive when he was 12 years old as well, beating one-on-one, taking Razor, taking Stuart Pierce, or trying to cut him apart. He was 12 years old. <laughs> it was incredible. He was he was the best 12-year-old by far that I ever saw.
2: What Craig, What what is that like? I mean, uh, aside from everyone listening to that will just be drooling, going, ah, oh, playing with the canny All those names you just reeled off there. And you just said that you're you're still friends with with Ludo and and Shaka now obviously you're working closely with those guys day in day out but what what I just is it is it just because we're looking back with doughy eyes that I it sort of seems like football doesn't quite have that these days where you everyone I don't know whether it's because and you could obviously tell me if i'm wrong whether the professionalism levels have just gone up that bit more or is there that solid camaraderie and the joking around because all those characters every day in training must have been a laugh a minute
1: mm-hmm. it was it was um i i think it's you know when players are living close by too and they actually uh, spend some time away from the park uh, I think is important for camaraderie too. So, you know, also in the lots parts of London, uh, players are scattered all over the place and they don't really uh, have a relationship with players outside of the, of the training ground. Um, that wasn't really the case, uh, certainly with West Ham. We, we did a lot of things outside of the game, um, going out together. Uh, you know, we really had a feel about the team that you wanted to back each other up. And as you're talking about accountability uh, earlier on, it, that's what it was about, is accountability. And people taking responsibilities for for being on the field. And if you weren't doing your part, the rest of the team would be the ones that went after that individual. It didn't have to be the manager. Manager and Harry, that that sort of part of it is really easy for some managers when you have a team of people that are willing to take people to task uh, for, for their results and for their performances. Uh, that can make it easier for a manager too because of those strong characters. I think Stuart Pierce was going to, you know, allow somebody not to run around the field. If an Isle Berkovich, who is an absolutely genius of a midfield player, especially at home, but if he wasn't going to do the dog work away from home, he's going to get it in the addressing room and let him know that you're, you're a shadow of yourself away from home and that needs to be better. So, um, I'm not sure that still is the same in the modern game, but I think coaches need to adapt to the modern player. I don't think players need to adapt to managers. Managers need to adapt to the modern player because they're just different and you're not gonna change them. So the way you get the best out of them is much different than it used to be uh, back in my day. So, you can say what you like as being like myself, an older player and how we used to do it, but that's not important now. It's what they do and how you deal with the modern player as they are now and getting the best of them. It's a totally different world.
3: Craig, you mentioned about sort of accountability and uh, and, and everything like that. Was it was it the players really that held each other to, uh, to account? And and also, what was Harry Redknapp like in those situations? If player had a bad game or, as you mentioned, like Berkowitz, um didn't, you know, only really turned up at home, didn't we really do it away. Was that the players telling Ile oh, Burkovich, come make, you know, pull your finger out away from home. Or was that a bit of both with the manager? Now, how was Harry Redknapp in that situation?
1: Yeah. Um, well, Harry, like, like I said, I think he really enjoyed an argument and a, and a confrontation with players, and whether that was Ile or John Hartson or, or whatever. Um, that sort of thing. I remember a story about John Hartson and Harry, uh, he was coming back off an injury, John, and, uh Harry wanted him to sit on the bench. He said to him, um, fine, I'll sit on the bench. But can you promise me that if you put me on, it uh, takes me some time to get going. Give me at least 15 minutes. So that was, Harry said, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. No problem. So the game comes and goes. And then there's 15 minutes left and 10 minutes left. And John gets up and walks down the tunnel. And then with five minutes left, Harry's like, All right, where's John? I'm going to put him on. And he's like, where is he? And he's looking down the sideline. He's trying to figure out where Hartson is. Trying to Was he warming up? I'm going to put him on. And somebody says, he just went down the fucking tunnel. So I was on the bench. And Harry says to me, Craig, go see where Hartson is. I'm trying to put him on. I go down there. I go in the dressing room. And John's in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, John. Harry wants to put you on. He goes, (laughs) you you can fucking tell Harry to go fuck himself. So I I said, okay. So I go out there and Harry's like, where is he? And I went, Gaffer, he's in the shower. He's in the fucking shower. (laughs) 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 You can imagine after the game. Harry comes in and, oh, my God, there was a Barmy between the two of them. Like, you don't fucking care. It's like, oh, my God. They were just battling back and forth all the time about him not sitting on the bench to the end of the game. He's going to fine him. And, oh, geez. So, this sort of thing happened all the time. But, well, Harry, I... Would, like I said, Harry was good at that. And, and then the players, again, they would hold themselves to account. Uh, Shaq had a dig at uh, Paolo, I think, away at Birmingham, I want to say, one game. And just wasn't much. It was just a constructive criticism from Shaka. He wasn't a yeller and screamer, Shaker. Shaka. He's a pretty
2: laid-back guy anyway, huh?
1: Yeah, very, very Caribbean. Yeah. And uh, and he uh, and Paolo went fucking nuts, just lost his mind. He was throwing tea and things around, and Harry just basically, you know, stood back and just, <laughs> okay, you gotta let Paolo have his two minutes of just, just nuts. And, uh, and then you'll calm down. But it, yeah, it, was, it wasn't so much the manager doing it as the players doing it for, for each other. And that made for a good dressing room.
2: Absolutely brilliant anecdotes from Craig Forrest there. Well, look, we've done our charity, the Betway charity bets for this week with the Fulham game. We will talk to Joe Sansom from the Fulhamish podcast a little bit later in the show for the opposition view. But stay with us because next up we'll have more questions and anecdotes from iconic West Ham goalkeeper Craig Forrest. So Craig Forrest, there were some absolutely outstanding anecdotes about his time at West Ham. I mean, what a team to have played alongside! So what a load of characters, all those names. Craig reeled off there, Neil Ruddock, Steve Lomas, Paolo Di Canio, Harry Redknapp in charge of that motley crew. What a great time to play. Craig, as always, like I said uh, earlier on, we like to get the listeners involved and we've got um listeners to send a few questions in for you as we've got you on the show tonight. And this one from Mark. Um how did you cope with uh, often being number 2 at times in your career? You've already mentioned of course Ludo and Shaka, friends of yours still to this day, which is uh, obviously wonderful to, for most of us to hear that you still have contact with those guys. But you you had a spell at the club where you had some outstanding goalkeepers, you know, were goalkeepers, West Ham fans look back with massive, a great deal of fondness. Ludo McClosco, one of the club's all-time great goalkeepers. How did you, how did you sort of deal with that? Because you've obviously still got a, a, a great fondness for your time at West Ham and for the club.
1: Yeah, when I first came to West Ham, obviously with Ludo there, I would played against Ludic when uh, obviously with Ipswich over the years and knew and saw and knew what an absolute quality goalkeeper he was. Um, good runner as well, by the way. Like one of the best. Like for a guy at six foot seven or something like that, he could run as well and long distances, pretty much as good as anybody. Which was which was a tragedy for us other goalkeepers because when you're running around where were we Hano in the area and we're running around in their parks and you got Ludo at the front of the line with the, fir- the all the first team players. And there's me, Shaka, David James at the, back, <laughs> at the back of the line, having to have a chat with Ludo after going, Ludo, you're killing the goalkeepers here. We're allowed to be at the back. <laughs> Don't go to the freaking front. You're killing us. Cause then they start to say, Hey, look at Ludo, look at Ludo. Right. I mean, unbelievable, big freaking lungs on him. The guy just a, beast of a machine he was so when I went to West Ham obviously I knew that he was getting older and I might get opportunities through maybe perhaps injuries more than uh, play because he was just such a great goalkeeper although he did you know when he got older started making a few mistakes which was uh, completely understandable Um, and uh, so I just worked as hard as I could I just wanted to get in there at least for a certain spell of time and all you can do like I said before is graft, work as hard as you can and wait for those opportunities because they generally will come. You just don't know when they're gonna come, but you have to make sure that you're ready when they do come because that might be your only opportunity. One of the most difficult parts, I think when I made my debut for West Ham was in the Cup against Villa um, at Upton Park. I was away on international duty and I had no intention or involvement when I got back. I mean, I, I ended up, up going like from Belize or El Salvador to Belize, Belize, Houston, Houston, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, out Toronto, and then Toronto, London. That was my flight. And I got back and I was just like, didn't even know what day it was. I'm just phoning up the club and I said, I'm back. I know there's a game tonight. I'll see you next week or whatever. And they were like, no, 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 you're playing. I was like, what? what? And they were like, yeah, yeah. Luca went down and training. He's not a calf. You got to play. So I was like, just sideways. Didn't know what day it was. I ended up going straight to Upton Park and playing in the game. It was one of the only games that I actually don't remember anything except we did win the game um, about it. And the most worrying thing about that situation was you want to be at your very best physically, mentally, everything when you get those opportunities. And it doesn't always work that way. I was in a terrible state and it was my debut, but if I made mistakes – the fans don't care that you travel they don't know the situation they could care less they just want you to perform when you show up so there's pressures like that and uh and just you know expecting the unexpected sometimes but try to be as ready as you can but even at that you know you, you just never know when those chances are going to come up when those opportunities are going to arise and you just better try to go through it and do, do the best you possibly can.
4: Craig, you've already mentioned your relationship with Ludo and Shaka, but how much is the goalkeepers union actually a thing? And how important is it as a goalkeeper, as a second, first choice, whatever it is to actually have that relationship with the other keepers? Because presumably majority of your day is spent training with them. You spend a lot of time with them. Right. And how much does that actually mean? Does it, does it make a difference or not at all? Is it competition when you're in or and just a little bit of a help? Or is it massively important to have that with the other keepers?
1: well it's it's such a different position, obviously, and it's not like uh, it's not objective uh it, it, because it's not like you're golfing and you're you know whatever your score is is your score uh it might be about opinions and about who's better and who's worse and who's in better fitness and who's better uh, game ready and all these different things come into play um but as a goalkeeper and when you play for a while you do understand that it has nothing to do with the personality of the goalkeeper that you're training with and they know that about you too and they know it's not down to our decisions and whether mm-hmm. i like him or I like him or not Um, And that tended to, you know, make for a good atmosphere around training. There's no point in not liking the other guy unless he's just a a dick. But other than that, you know, there's no point in it. And generally, they were good guys, really good guys, you know, from guys I played with with uh, Richard Wright. Uh, at Ipswich when he was a young lad as well. I and mean, ended up moving into the first team and went to Arsenal uh, to, to goalkeepers like David James, who was a bit of a stronger character that way, um, was pretty, not a loner, but certainly wanted to keep himself to himself and went in training and left, but not. But the rest of them really really were quite close on and off the field. I mean, Ludo, I mean, Ludo was impossible not to like. Shaq of the same thing. Bernard Lama was a bit of a different cat when he came over and the situation that he came over with too was like,
2: <laughs> what a name, what a name. Yeah, I love name. I love things like that. Just names like that who come across. And I used to love Bernard Lamar. I say it to all my friends now. If we're talking about rogue, we used to do a thing on this podcast called the Rogue Mystery Players Quiz. And we'd give three clues um, on random West Ham players. And Bernard Lamar was one of my favorite answers. Play for Paris Saint-Germain didn't he? He's the real good goalkeeping pedigree and somehow turns up as West Ham's number two. The reason
1: why he came to West Ham was he, I'm not sure about his club situation at that time, if he was banned or what, but he needed a club and he needed to be playing because he wanted to be in the 98 squad for France, which he ended up being. I think he was number two to Barthez during that World Cup. Um, But he needed to play. So he was a guy that, he wasn't like the other goalkeepers coming in. He was coming in and he needed to play. So he was constantly knocking at Harry's door, i got to be playing, i got to be playing. Not because of West Ham or whether he thought the other goalkeeper, he just needed to, he was going to do whatever he could to get in that team to get some playing time, to get some exposure from the French national team. Very, very different. Yeah, very different out of any of the situations. He was there for a short term and a short short time, and he knew it was going to be that case as well. So he was going to do as well as he possibly could to, to get himself into that team one way or the other. Love it. I know
3: you've already given us some cracking stories about Palo de Caño, but I can't help but not ask you about that most iconic moment. You were in the starting 11 when he scored that goal against Wimbledon. What was that like to one see live on the pitch, but also what was the atmosphere in the changing room like
1: afterwards? What I've never seen a stadium go from, you know, subdued I mean the ball was being moved around midfield and Steve Lomas had made an overrun uh, an overlap around Trevor Sinclair and I remember one of the conversations after the game was because Lomi when he passed around Sinclair for the overlap he wanted the ball he just run 60 yards he wanted the ball so as when he saw he was looking over his shoulder he saw Sinclair going to hit the cross to Paolo and he's literally fucked him off he's just like like he's like what the fuck like yeah almost like lay me in right like knocks his ball across to Decanio, and then, you know, the rest is history. So a lot of that was just laughing about the fact that Lomi was so angry that he didn't get the overlap overlap pass than it was for the cross. And then all of a sudden Decano hits it. It was like, eh, okay, not bad. <laughs> the stadium went from that just quiet, subdued to an explosion that I've never, ever heard or seen uh, before or since. Well, I- too. Maybe since I was, uh, was at the Toronto Raptor game in the NBA uh, last year when Kawhi Leonard hit a buzzer beater against Philadelphia yeah. 76ers. And that was probably the other time.
4: Bounce well, on time. the rim. Is it when it bounced on the rim and just flopped in?
1: That's right. Hit the rim about four yeah. or five times. And that, and that was the other thing. The whole stadium went quiet. And you could actually hear the ball hit the rim. And then when it went in, it was just yeah. – I think my, uh, my ears exploded. But it was very similar to that. And you just seen, you just knew you'd seen something incredibly special. And like I said, in training, it wasn't something that we didn't see on a regular basis. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a shock. Um, we were very, very used to seeing the skills of Paolo Di Canio.
2: Absolutely. Look, Craig, before we let you go, it seems you, the same as everyone who, or most players who were at West Ham during that time, formed an instant bond with each other, the club and the fans. Um, and I think, certainly listeners to the we Are West Sand podcast as much as me and the lads i've absolutely loved talking to you tonight just to hear what that was like because fans still have a real connection to that time they'll they'll be absolutely mm-hmm. delighted uh when they they tune into the podcast this week to hear that we've uh, that we've got you on it's a nice surprise for all of them we'll certainly hope to have you on again but one just before you go if there's one thing that sort of stands out or one anecdote from your time at West Ham, whether it sums up what it was like to be at the club or just the funniest thing uh, that happened when you were there. What, what? Give us one more tale before we let you go.
1: Okay. Well, I was hoping John was going to be on today because there was a chance he was going to be on. And I wanted to talk to him about this and he might've brought it up with you guys before. Uh, but he showed up at training a few times and Eddie Gillens, Eddie the, the the kit man that was there for years, is an absolute legend. He, uh, he was missing either a sock or a shorts because remember us players are t- pampered. Like you never known all your stuff is laid out for you. You don't have to make any freaking decisions yourself. You know, it's just perfect. Right. So he comes in and he's day after day, there's something missing. So he comes in late one day for training. We were already outside running and it was miserable, raining five degrees. John comes in and I guess his kid isn't there at all. So he just puts his boots on and nothing else. And <laughs> you can never get away with that now because cameras everywhere, right? I mean, there was a certain amount, there was always a handful of fans, even if the weather was that bad, would stand there in the parking lot and watch. But he comes out, he's butt naked, got absolutely no a stitch on except his boots. does <laughs> the whole warm up in five degrees. Larry's just standing there shaking his head, just <laughs> can't understand what's going on, doing all the leg kicks and everything else. And then when he goes, he said, oh, I better, I better go put some clothes on because he's freezing." <laughs> and as he runs in front of the fans, he does his swan dive right through a pond, like a puddle, right in front of him, slides right, through, absolutely naked. And I think he went home, and I don't think we saw him for four days because I think he got, he got, he, he caught something. He up really sick, friggin' pneumonia or something. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely he was, fun. You know, I got so many John stories. And, and that, can you tell one more about him? Uh, You've probably heard this one. Have you heard the one on the plane where he had the plane actually abort? Uh, well, anyway, we may have
2: done, but tell it tell it again. Tell it yeah. again. You will never get so, old.
1: I was about, I don't know, a third of the way up the plane. We're flying up to Newcastle, I think. And uh, we're, we taxi right to the end of the runway. We're ready to go. And the stewardess is sitting there looking down the aisle of the plane. And she's like, sir sir excuse me you have to sit down we can't take off i look behind and there's paolo coming up the middle of the aisle no i've had a dream i've had a dream <laughs> i want off i want off and anyway the, and the pilot comes on he's like sir we're we're actually ready to take off sit down and harry's like paolo sit the fuck down you fucking maniac he doesn't sit down he wants off you will not sit down so we have to taxi back to the gate lose our spot we're delayed i don't know how long <laughs> Let him off with one of the directors who had to get in a car and drive him all the way to newcastle and that was the end of that except everybody's on the plane going you know you you know these these crazy people like palo there's something to him as well i hope he's you know the dream he had i hope he's not right <laughs> He was so scared of flying. He was the only guy that made me terrified of flying was Paolo. If you sat next to him, my hands would sweat because he was just terrified. Every little bump on the plane, he would be almost screaming. So.
2: <laughs> what a what a man. What a story. Yeah. And what a uh, what a period of, uh, of West Ham history. I think one which almost all fans who, who were around at the time and can remember it look back on with utter fondness. Well, look, Craig, we did try and get you uh, on tonight for the reunion with John Monker, and we 100% will do that in the next few weeks. Technical issues letting us down this evening, unfortunately, but uh, it's been an absolute
4: well, it pleasure.
1: Wasn't, it wasn't technical issues. It was John. <laughs> when <Well, laughs> I heard this was better than me... <laughs> when I heard it was going to be more than just audio I was like oh this is going to be problems for John
2: you know? <laughs> Well you're his former teammate So we'll let you hang him out to dry We still want him <laughs> on our side so. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I definitely speak um, For myself certainly And I'm sure for the lads But mm. it's been a genuine pleasure to have you on Those mm. anecdotes are uh, worth their weight in gold It's been brilliant to hear your thoughts On the game against Liverpool at the weekend Fulham coming up um, Fingers crossed we can win some money With the Betway charity bets. But Craig Forrest, uh, thank you so much for coming on to the Wheel West Sound podcast for the first time. We sincerely hope that it is not the last and we will get you on for that reunion with John Moncar soon. But stay with us because next up we've got Fulham podcaster Joe Sansom from the Fulhamish podcast to look ahead to this weekend's game. Craig Forrest, there, in what I think might be my favourite We Are West Ham interview of all time. Absolutely brilliant to hear from Craig there, dialling in from Toronto with some absolutely priceless anecdotes about Paolo Di Canio, Harry Redknapp, Neil Ruddock. John Moncur and all the rest of them, and we will certainly be getting Craig back on in the coming weeks, and hopefully make that reunion that he was planning with John Moncur happen on the We Are West Ham podcast in the coming weeks. Craig gave us his thoughts and had a, a tip on the Betway Charity Bets on the Fulham game coming up this weekend, and ahead of that game, Saturday night at London Stadium, eight o'clock kickoff. We are delighted to welcome Joe Sansom from the Fulhamish podcast to for our opposition view segment to look ahead to the game joe thanks very much for joining us we do appreciate a brilliant win for you boys at the weekend first win of the season a huge one against uh what already looked like relegation rivals west brom uh, that's a big monkey to get off your back i'm assuming you're absolutely thrilled that uh, to get that one in the bag
0: yeah and cheers to have me on yeah it was i was really nervous for the game yesterday um probably the most nervous other than the playoffs that I've been for a a league game in a long, long time. Like it really felt like if we didn't win, um, then we're already looking up against it. We look up against it as it is. Um, And it was really important that we could pull ourselves out of the relegation zone, even if it's quite early on. I think, Um, you know, psychologically it's quite a boost because everyone said from Jamie Carragher saying he was more certain we're going down than he was of anything in his life, I think was the phrase. <laughs> um, uh, I, think, I think it's feeling a bit more positive now and we really looked a lot, a, lot, a lot better yesterday. We were much improved going forward and at the back and hopefully it's a sign of things to come.
4: Joe, with have um, obviously a bit of a West Ham connection with Scott Parker in charge. We probably all love him, obviously, with what he did with us. But what is the feeling with Fulham fans? Because obviously I spoke to Dom in some parts of the season last year. He wasn't too sold on him. But how are you guys all feeling about him now? And how how far do you think he can take you? Because he seems like a really energetic, positive manager and, and somebody could take you quite far.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I I was quite similar to Dom. It was quite mixed last season. Um And there were times last season where I was thinking, I'm not sure he's quite cut out for this yet. I thought that um, tactically, um, in particular before lockdown, um, it often didn't seem like he was too tactically aware. Um, But I think he's come a long way since then. And I think it's very clear that he's learning as he goes along. And um, uh, I I always said that I think the style of football he plays, um, when we take the lead, um, under him we haven't ever lost a game. Um, in the Championship and this season as well. And um, when we take the lead, he sets us up very well to defend that, um, which is something that we we uh, were not very good at. Defensively, we've been quite shaky for a number of years. Um, going back to when we were even a solid Premier League team at the back end of that, we were very shaky defensively. And um, uh, he, he's got a passing style of football um, uh, with a bit of, of grit. Um, quite similar to him as a player, I guess. He's got very high standards. Um, and, I, and I really liked him as a player for us. Um, uh, so he obviously played for you before he played for Spurs, and then he came to us from Spurs, and um, he was getting on a bit at that point, but he stuck stuck around with us when we went down um, and captained us in the championship when it was really looking like we might go down to League One. Um, and I really think that he can go far as a manager. I still think he's learning. I don't think he's like finished article at all. Um, but yesterday, um, I, I think he outthought Slavin Bilic. And last season, um, one of my complaints about him was that I thought he got outthought by Slavin Bilic twice. So that, that's an improvement.
3: Oh, a couple of years ago, when you were last in in the Premier League, Fulham spent was it hundred million quid in the summer and yeah. it, it massively backfired. And, and this year, there's still a lot of transfer activity in and around Craven Cottage, but um, a lot less spent. I mean, what are your thoughts on Fulham's transfer window and, and, and business both in and out? Do you, do you think it, it, it was a lot more thought out than than a couple of years ago when you, when you last came up?
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's an improvement. Um, I, I, I'm satisfied by the players we brought in for sure. Um, I still think that we maybe could have done with another forward because at the moment it's it's really Mitrovic or no one. Um, I thought we could have done with another backup for him. The only complaint I had, I had, and it was quite a big one, but it was just that we took a long time to bring in the defenders that we really obviously needed. Um, so we went from the centre backs that aren't good enough. Um, we brought in two on deadline day, and then we brought in Congolo in the um, domestic window deadline day as well um it's it, I think I think it was tough because um obviously everyone's saying oh d- don't spend the money don't spend the money we know what happened last time but at the same time our team was not good enough uh, like we finished fourth in the championship we had a good season but it it wasn't like the Leeds team or um I'm thinking back to previous, like the Sheffield United team last year where it was almost a Premier League team and waiting there was a lot of players that Um, you think, might not be able to make the step up and didn't make the step up last time. So um, I think it was tough. Um, I think we got there in the end, but my complaint would be that um, I don't think we brought in the defenders quick enough. Um, And that could cost us with a few of the games where we put in some terrible performances at the start of the season. Um, In particular, the Villa game, um, which is quite quite, quite an embarrassing defensive performance. Last last night was the first time we saw... uh, um, our new two centre backs together, um, and in fact, it was a whole back five, including the goalie. Um, uh, like n- none of them played for us last year. Um, I think there was. I'm thinking maybe there was two players in the starting eleven, maybe three um, that were playing for us last year, which shows the the difference. Um, uh, but Touchwood, I, fi- I think I think we had a better window than we did in um,
2: 2018. Joe, can I ask you a question? Now? And this. Uh, you know, we will go on to how we think the game's going to go at the weekend, but I find Fulham a really bizarre football club. So can I just ask how, (laughs) how, 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 I I just think they're, they're just, uh, they're unique. You know, there's lots of clubs up and down the land that are pretty run of the mill. Do you know what I mean? West Ham are one of a few like big rowdy and not just the fact you've got a house in the corner of your stadium and the rowing club and the river the other side but how did you start supporting Fulham just explain that to me because I always found it weird that the the away followings were always reasonably small when we were in uh, when you're in the Premier League sort of when Lewis Balmorta and Papa Boobadil were playing for you I always found it confusing Uh, I had my season ticket at West Ham, and I always took a, a real interest in away support and away followings um, and the Fulham was always quite small and I used to find that confusing because you're only the other end of the district line. So how did yeah. you, how did you start supporting Fulham?
0: Yeah, well, I started supporting Fulham in, a, in primary school. One of my best friends, um, uh, invited me to a Fulham game with, um, his dad and my mum came with me as well. Um, I'd already been to one when I was very young, that I couldn't really remember, um, started going a few times and just, I just loved it. Um, Are you from around so that s- area? yeah I'm I'm so I'm, I'm from I'm from Wimbledon um so my closest premier league club is Fulham um ironically um Wimbledon uh their new stadium which they're playing in tonight when we're recording this um is literally right by my house so obviously if I was born now that would be my local club I still think I'd pick Fulham because my friends supported them and I always went to games with uh, my dad just sort of the local club really um and then I got a season ticket with my dad um and we just started going everywhere. and just just, just loved it. And the the, the smaller way crowds were. It always sort of got me down a little bit because um, obviously it, it's it. You'd love to have a big crowd, but in a way, I'm sort of glad that the the people that do go to the games. You can. It means a lot to every single person there. And um, um that the crowds are. I mean, we probably would have seen it this scene. The crowds have slowly been getting better over the years, especially since I first started going. And you. You, you just know everyone there um and um, <laughs> even at the
2: home games
0: <laughs> yeah even, yeah exactly and, yeah i mean it's i i think I think it's quite tough with um obviously it's tough for all clubs in london because there's so many, but yeah. when you 've got Chelsea around the corner you 've also got q p r who are always been i mean a smaller club but um of a similar size um Brentford, not too far away as well. I can see why it is harder um but I, de- I definitely think the, the, the fan base is growing and it's good that we're, we're getting a new stand at the moment when you play us, um, whenever the home game is, uh, will hopefully be a lot better because at the moment where the camera is, when, when it's looking down on the touchline, it's like you're looking off a cliff because it's, <laughs> there's, 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 there's nothing there and then there's just the river. So they haven't really got anywhere to put it at the moment. Yeah. Um, no, you'll, uh, sorry, yeah,
2: forget you. You'll have to forgive me that one because I just find <laughs> I always sort of wonder how anyone one ever ends up supporting <laughs> in Fulham. But I'm sure Tom will have a a, a, a sensible question about how you think the weekend's going to go. <laughs> but I just thought, well, I've got you on, I might as well ask. Well,
4: no, I'm it...
0: outnumbered, so there's no, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> <laughs>
4: exactly, your back's against the wall, Joe. He yeah. usually is the case with that man. Don't forget him, but um. This season, you, you, you spent a bit on the back four. Obviously, you brought Hector in last year. That was, it always felt whenever you've recently been in the league, whether that be the year you got relegated, then came up or whatever it is, it's always felt you're the type of team who, who teams can have a serious go at and there's going to be goals in that game. And more likely than not, away from home, you're going to struggle. Do you think you've done anything to allay those fears or, or to actually make you're a more solid team. You say when you're in the lead, and yeah, you kept that clean sheet the other night. But is it something that Fulham fans are still worried about? Because ultimately, if you keep clean sheets, you're just stay in the league.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the weak point of the team. Still, I don't think we've suddenly solved it. We, we played well yesterday, um, and since we got quite convincingly beaten by Villa, we've been a lot better defensively in all the games. Even the ones we've lost, it's been by the odd goal. Um, it's not been anywhere near as convincing. Um, but now we've got our two new centre-backs in. So we've got um, Adara Bayo, who's come from Man City. Um, and we've got Anderson, who's on loan from Lyon. He played for the first time yesterday. Um, and he's a, a player that's played in the Champions League before. He's clearly a level above what we what we had. I mean, H- Hector's... A, I know you said Hector there. Hector's a really weird one um, because... I don't know how much you saw of us in the championship last yeah, season. Yes,
4: so I said that because last year he looked like he came on, because I saw him at Reading, came on leaps and bounds yeah. last year, but he hasn't taken Yeah, it exactly.
0: It. He, he basically, the, the move fell through last minute in the summer, as in we just didn't quite get it done. So he yeah. trained with us till January. As soon as he stepped onto the pitch in January, it was like a different team. Yeah. So much more solid at the back. And then he just hasn't made the step up for whatever reason. In the, in the games he played, he looked very much, out of his depth and I think it's something that the fans definitely didn't expect it but I think the board didn't expect it either because after that it yeah. went very much from we need to sign a centre-back to we need to sign two centre-backs um, which is obviously very harsh but I think that um, sentimentality is, it sounds harsh but it's only going to get you so far. I, I think that these players that served us so well in the championship both times we've come up are just not good enough. Some of them, especially the defenders. Um, but no, to answer your question, I think we've turned a corner and our defence has improved. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think it's definitely getting better.
3: So let's just switch attention to this weekend's game. Um, yeah. Fulham without a without a win in the last eleven visits to West Ham by Fapton Park and and London Stadium. Do you see? Do you see any way of that changing? Obviously, West Ham on the back of a defeat at the weekend um, in relatively good form, but that win yeah. that win for you guys on, on Monday night, taking a lot of confidence into, into a stadium that West Ham is still effectively, we're still trying to find our feet in that ground, but although we have been relatively good this season. How do you think the game's going to go?
0: Yeah, I think it should be a good game because um, I'm a lot more confident now after watching us yesterday. Um, and watching us recently, I've, I think we've played better away from home this season. We haven't always got the results to come away with it, but all, all three games we played away from home have been quite tight. Uh, we took Leeds all the way, we took Wolves all the way, and then uh, we were unlucky not to win at Sheffield United. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think it'll be a good game. I think it's going to be a tough game and I would, I would definitely take a point if I was offered it now. I, 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 I think it's simple. If you, you win your home games and draw your away games, you should stay up and, um, I've always sort of believed in that. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I mean, I, ho- I hope he's still out. With all due respect to him, I hope he gets better soon. But Antonio being out must be quite a big miss. Um, but then I know uh, I know Ben Rama quite well from last year. I know uh, Bowen quite well from last year because he tore us a new one at the cottage, and they, yeah. Um, Still yeah, scarred uh, from that one, by the looks of it. <laughs> that 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 was one of the worst I've ever seen because that was a, a whole team that were that were pretty crap. But they had Bowen and they had um, uh, Grzycki that's now West Brom, and they were lightning so quick. Um, so yeah, I'm nervous for the game. Uh, I'm confident that we can get something, um, but we'll have to de- defend as well as we did yesterday to do that. Um, and yeah, I mean. You, you, you've, you've been playing quite well because I looked at your fixtures at the start of the season and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm glad we haven't got their start, but it seems to me that you've done a lot better than you Well, I don't want to speak for you, but probably a lot better than you've expected with those games. And even the Liverpool one, I mean 2-1. I mean, those Liverpool and Man City games, you normally see them as a bit of a write-off. Mm. Um, in recent years and got a got a point was it against City yeah we're point against City
2: yeah. and then just narrowly lost and you've you've got you've that's the exact tone of the podcast so far joe obviously we are 14th we've only got one more win than you have but like you say the games that we've had were um, were pretty grim so to have eight points yeah. from those seven games when we were genuinely predicting that we may end up with zero to Two points from from these games. I think we're we're all pretty pretty pleased with that. But Joe, we'll put you on uh, put you on the spot now because there's been a, a little bit of a uh, an, uh, a surprising tone of confidence among me and the boys going into this week's game. It's not a not a tone we usually hear. Craig Forrest yeah. joined us from Toronto to uh, inject a bit of. Uh, Unseen positivity on the We Are West Ham podcast. Me and the lads in our charity bets this week have all backed West Ham wins, which again is is unlikely. So there's confidence from us, but uh, let's get a score prediction from you before we let you
0: go. I'll go with one-one for this one. I'm feeling more confident than I would have been a few weeks ago, and um, hopefully we can get something because we've got some. We, we've got City and Liverpool coming up. Absolutely, oh, international break. So it'll be good to get another point. on the board.
2: Well, that's, uh, that's the first opposition view in five, I think, that hasn't predicted a win for their own team. So we could see a, a change in our fortunes. Thomas Edwards, what's your score prediction for this weekend?
4: Uh, it's on my bet. I, I just fancy us. I think 2-1, I think they're a good side. We can't mug them off. That They'll certainly cause problems. But 2-1, I'm confident that we'll carry the form over enough just to pip it.
2: James Jones, a little bit of uh, cautious optimism from Tom Edwards. Uh, are you feeling the same?
3: I'm a little bit more optimistic. Um, I'm going to go 3-1 West
2: Ham. 3-1 West Ham, even though our main strikers out. Absolute bold predictions from James Jones there. I don't know. And I'm a bit fed up with my, uh, what's the word, negative persona um, that comes across sometimes on this podcast when guessing uh, or predicting West Ham results. I'm sort of inclined to go with Joe because I just think going forward, that we it's gonna be a bit blunt. I think the 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 Halla situation is going to prove a bit of a, a thorn in our side again, but I don't wanna do that. So I'm going to say we'll nick a, an ugly one-nil, but I think we'll, we'll win the game. But Joe, thanks very much for joining us tonight. One all from Joe Sanson from the Fulhamish Podcast. Cautious optimism from Tom Edwards, and all-out rampant thrashing according to James Jones this weekend. But stay with us because you might be in, might be in for another thrashing with James Jones at the hot, in the hot seat for Name That Game, which is coming up next you are still listening to the we are West Ham podcast with me will pew james jones and tom edwards and that was joe sansom from the fulhamish podcast then cautiously optimistic that his team could get a point him joe opt in for one all there um I, I can't see it being a big free scorer but i just think it's such a huge game lads because this is the first one of those winnable games isn't it the the 14th the the feeling of positivity and all that sort of stuff will quickly go away won't it if we lose this game at the weekend or even if we draw really against everyone's considering them as relegation fodder and I know they've got a win last time out but it was only against the second worst team other than them in the league wasn't it Uh, in West Brom so I think massive one and I think the you know what it's like um, sport in West Ham, the pressure all of a sudden from fans will mount back on the team if we don't get anything this weekend and all of a sudden those eight points uh, that we'll have from those eight games won't quite look as rosy after all but Jonesy, talking of uh, points returns, you've got a very healthy one in Name That Game this year 16 points Um And Tom Edwards, you're on nine and I'm bottom of the table on seven. But Jonesy, you are the quiz master this week. Each week, the quiz master picks a West Ham match from history, collates seven necessary pieces of information, an obscure fact on the game, the scoreline, an opposition goal scorer, if there are any, a West Ham goal scorer, if there are any stadium in which the game was played, West Ham's opponent, and the season, the tie break, is, of course, the year the game took place. Commanding lead from you at the moment, Jonesy, but you are quizmaster this week, so no opportunity for you to get any points. It's all down to me and Tom. Um Straight into it?
3: Yeah, let's do it. It's a good, good chance for you guys to start catching me out this week. So, um, yeah, I'm quite happy to have the week off and, and ask the questions.
4: Go
3: give, it. Us a, give us a chance here. Come on. Yeah, so... Uh, Obscure fact is uh, in this game, well, this game brought the West Ham manager's first ever win over the opponents that day in 16 attempts in his career.
2: What a clue that is. I'm going to guess
3: 1-0. That is correct.
4: Oh,
2: oh, that is way. correct. Oh,
4: hey. What is he talking about? What is he <laughs> right, Tom. Tom, um...
3: You've got to give an opposition goal scorer.
4: What opposite none.
2: <laughs> Correct.
4: That's the, oh, best, point no. <laughs> oh, that's that's the best point I've ever had. That's the best
2: point I've ever had. What a joke that is. Uh, so he-
3: so he- Will, Will, you need uh, a West Ham goal scorer, please.
2: Uh, um I'm gonna go with uh, Andy Carroll. That is incorrect
4: throws over to Tom. Tom? Oh, I'm thinking it. Um, Mark Noble. Incorrect.
2: Oh, blimey. Alright, next one then, Jonesy. So, next one is Stadium. Uh, I'm going to go up to Park. That is correct. 2-1, <laughs> Tom, Tom for the opponent.
4: Oh, I think I'm in the money here. Is it Arsenal?
2: It is incorrect.
4: Oh, oh. <laughs>
2: Will? Oh, um... Oh, I'm going to go... Manchester United?
3: That is correct.
2: Oh! <laughs> Back of the netto. I <laughs>
3: oh, so in there. So, that, that makes it, by my calculation, 3-1.
2: Yeah, that is the win for to, me this week. To
3: Will, um...
2: So, yeah. Tom's got an opportunity Tom. to grab a point back with the season. season.
4: Oh, do me a favour. Um 12-13. you're miles out. Incorrect. Miles
1: out. Will.
4: Uh, I'm, I'm miles out of this game.
2: Uh oh dear. Um all right, hang on. Uh oh. Come
4: oh, I know it. 08-09 No, that is incorrect. I no. think I got it. Do I get another sniff at it? No, no, you do not. As <laughs> per <laughs> the
2: rules. Go on, then, Josie. No. In. So, so the game.
3: The, the manager was actually Alan yeah.
0: yeah, his
3: first game as West Ham manager. Rio Coca Rio Rio winner it was his first game as West Ham manager and he got his first ever win in his entire managerial career against Man United in the 2005-2006 season, Rio Coker scored the winner.
2: That was
3: and in when?
4: 05-06? 06-07, 06-07, Yeah, that's a good one, that. That threw me off, that completely threw me off considering I knew the game, that's good. That.
2: Well, that was, oh. that was when Rio Coker cupped his ear
4: to the fans, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. He scored at the Bobby Moore end, didn't he? Just to tap him. Yeah, he'd been Aww. getting a load of grief, hadn't he? And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that,
2: was, <laughs> that was an odd one, that. But, so that's 3-1 to me as far as the scores go, Jonesy. That makes things a little bit more interesting at the bottom of the table, does it?
3: Yeah, so Will, you got the three points. That brings you up to 10. Tom's uh, solitary point also brings him to 10. So neck and neck. Just underneath. I'll be texting you the game 16. next week, so
4: he doesn't get a, he doesn't get a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do
2: vividly remember that because uh, there was there was quite a lot of negativity around Lee's appointment, wasn't there? Things mm. were a bit weren't going well at the moment. United had a great team then, and uh, yeah, Rio Coco. I don't, I seem to remember like him coming out as if he'd been getting loads of stick, and I remember thinking at the time I didn't think he'd been getting that much of a hard time but um, mm. yeah and then he sort of ran along giving it all that didn't he for those who are watching yeah. on YouTube um, yeah
3: I'm just looking at the BBC BBC Sport match report for that for that game and we've got some quotes from Kerbyshire after and he, he specifically says there's been a lot of criticism of the players and they've got to answer that and face the music and then looking back I mean I think it, doesn't, I don't think it wasn't it wasn't just Rio Coca. it was the majority of the squad were getting a lot of stick um, given the form but yeah, because they win, were rubbish. <laughs> yeah, and that, that win didn't even get us out of the bottom three at the time. And, you know, don't forget we had Carlos Tevez and Mascarano in the squad. Yeah. Um, and we were still batting in relegation. So, yeah, it's no wonder the players players were getting a little bit of grief from the fans.
2: Yeah, no, that was, uh, that's a good one, that, Jones. Yeah, I like that. And that you know good. what? As well, when when you said that, the the first clue about the first win in however many, I was still thinking Moyes. I thought it was Moyes for yeah. ages. I thought oh, I was just dumbing an R in whether to give away
3: the manager or not. But then I thought, no, that will give away the game if I say yeah. that it was, it was Kirby's first win over the
4: opponent. So I thought I'd mm. keep it a little bit more mysterious. I thought Anadye's Pardue. When you said Carroll, I thought Will knew the game. So here we go, anyway.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tom Edwards, absolutely furious with his performance <laughs> in name that game once again. Josie, I still don't know how you managed to get to 16 points. Did you have an absolute rout one week?
3: I have a route most weeks. Yeah, really. two
4: routes. Yeah, um, two routes. I've
3: lost, I don't think I've lost. I, I think I've lost one, and I out of what
2: four, five, three yeah, that must be it. I think you've done done pretty well to get to They're sixteen points. To yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, look, James Jones on sixteen, me and Tom Edwards on ten points each at the bottom of the name that game uh, quiz. There, West Ham one, Manchester United. Neil Nigel Rio Coco, giving it large to the Bobby Moore end, uh, even though he was captain of a team in the bottom three of the Premier League. But stay with us, because next up we'll be talking about another team who's in serious trouble at the moment. It's the West Ham women. You, you, so a comprehensive victory for me, Will Pew on the Name That Game quiz. They're delighted to finally get some points on the board and one team who have been struggling to get points on the board recently is the West Ham women's team. Not a lot has changed since we last spoke last week's show. Of course, we did the international roundup, the players back and in training after their trips or various trips all over the world lockdown lockdown has of course come in but uh, women's football of course the elite level um, is going to carry on just as the men's game is and the women's next game is tomorrow night we record this of course on a Tuesday evening Uh, the next game is away to sorry Reading at home uh, next up in the League Cup Wednesday evening uh, the the girls had a, a bit of respite, didn't they, Jonesy, when they beat Brighton on penalties in the last round of this uh, cup competition? A little bit of a positive injection. People hoped that would carry over into their league form. It didn't, but certainly an opportunity for the the girls to get back to winning ways tomorrow.
3: Absolutely. I mean, Reading are having a bit of a sort of inconsistent season so far in the league, and you know you, you have to think that. Anything other than a win here for for the team, it is gonna just plough even more uncertainty and even more sort of lack of confidence into the squad leading going into league games at the weekend and you know, they're in real trouble. This does give them a little bit of break from from league form. Um it's a one off game. Um, won the last one on penalties, as you said. So if they're gonna get any more confident confidence and start Actually, get their season up and running, and this is the game to do it and, and beat a, a, a half decent Redding side. Um, there's no better way of getting your team back on track than than winning in the cup against against the team above you in the league, um, and and then going from there and building on that.
2: Yeah, having beaten Brighton already, obviously gives a, you know there is a chance to have a have a decent cup run there, and um, hopefully the girls carry on that tomorrow. Tom, is Birmingham away next up though in the WSL back in the league where, you know, that's really the bread and butter and that's where the girls need to start up in the ante a little bit. Um, some pictures being posted online in the week of, of the girls, you know, in training and working hard in the gym, all that usual sort of stuff. Uh, all of those things are all very well needs to convert to points. It's the same sort of stuff that yeah. we've been saying the last few weeks It's more more important um, than ever, really, because like we we have mentioned before, it's it's a relegation battle. If they don't get a win, it's um, on the eighth of November. Is the Birmingham game? Birmingham away, uh, Birmingham again, seventh in the WSL. That's Sunday's game. Uh, is it too early for for phrases like must win?
4: Sadly, I, sadly, I actually don't think so. And I think with the, with the standard in the WSL these days, that every team is is a serious danger, and they've got a, each team has top top players who can who can cause you problems. And being cut adrift at the bottom of the league and in a pack of about three or four with, after ten games leaves you basically fighting for your life. So the quicker the girls get points on the board, the better. And I think Brighton, albeit there's no points at stake and it's a cup game, I think it's it's an important game for them to go out there without sounding like every Sunday league manager that we all know saying winning breeds winning it it really does and if you get a win there and you roll over and you go to Birmingham with a bit of confidence it can make a a world of difference and um, we've seen it on the documentary we've heard the journalists who come on here and speak about it the girls have a problem about getting on each other's backs and it seems like when the going gets tough they they sort of get on each other's back so if you get a win and you relieve a bit of pressure then who knows and Birmingham aside the decent side and they play some decent stuff but we can absolutely go there and get something it's just about actually showing up and giving the best version of the girls that they have this season because I don't feel like we've actually played our best all season bar once or twice in patches against Arsenal I know we lost that 9-1 but but we had a moment where we looked like a really good side so show that form and there's no reason we can't go there and, and get a result true I can only imagine what it must be like having you
2: as a Sunday league manager though Tom Hell, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would just imagine it's cliche after cliche. Yeah, I bet if you've heard it's still nil nil lads once, you've heard it a million times. We we'll
4: win this <laughs> half, four nil down. Come on, lads, win this half.
2: <laughs> Wins behind this half, lads. We're down nil, yeah. We're down nil. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous stuff. But look, I say, um, uh, hopefully, uh, next week you'll be a little bit more of a positive chat um, for the West Ham women two big games coming up between now and next week's podcast, reading at home in the league cup, uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday, the 4th of November before Birmingham away in the WSL on Sunday, the eighth, two huge games for the girls. Focus should definitely be on that league game to, uh, claw themselves away from the relegation zone in the WSL but stay with us because we'll have some final thoughts from the lads on what has been one of my favourite ever We Are West Ham episodes and that outstanding interview with iconic West Ham goalkeeper Craig Forrest So we're at that stage of the show again, right at the end. We've done all six segments on the We Are West Ham podcast, an absolutely brilliant one tonight. What an honour to speak to Craig Forrest, all the way from Toronto in Canada, iconic West Ham goalkeeper. Brilliant to hear from Craig. Of course, we heard from Joe from the Fulhamish podcast. Look ahead to Saturday night's game with fulham at the london stadium and uh yeah brilliant stuff james A bit um nervous times for the women's team of course but as we always do at the end of the show uh, we'll do our fantasy premier league update um jonesy have you got the actually no tom i'll throw to you first Um, Just update us on the scores Between the three of us I had another pretty average week Myself on Fantasy Premier League 52 points and the overall uh, Global average was 53 Nothing spectacular Kane captain He scored for me Um, I don't know where that puts me Overall compared to the two of you Because I wasn't actually keeping an eye on it this weekend
4: so sadly well you are top with 371 total points i am second with 351 and jonesy's five behind on three four six so it's pretty it's a pretty close league which which makes it exciting but i think jonesy got 40 this week i got 49 you got 52 so we all need to have a good hard look at ourselves and then work out what's going wrong because one of those weeks again but at least it's tight between us so there's something to play for
2: I did have a quick. I did have a. I say I didn't keep an eye on it. I must have at some point because I did have a quick look at Jonesy's team. Just wetting myself laughing when he was on about thirty six points when most of his players had played. And I listened back to last week's pod, James, and you, you didn't sound happy, and you look even less happy this week. You don't look happy. I'm not happy about it. If I'm honest,
3: so I, <laughs> I had a little look back over the last seven seven game weeks. And I think in only two of them, my captain has either got scored or assisted once. The rest of the time, blank, every, every week. Um, and Son, all right, I washed my hands of him.
4: <laughs> right,
3: home, home to Brighton. Home to Brighton. Yeah. He scored against us. He scored about 900 against Southampton a few <laughs> weeks ago. Right, he even banged in a, a, a few at Old Trafford for fun. I'm at Brighton. Can't even score or assist. I wash my hands of him, and it's it's, it's ruined my season so far. I've got no. I've got no time for it anymore. And you're actually
2: bottom out of the three of us as well, which is a good Tom. Which uh... which is
3: what I'm annoyed about, by the way. Yeah, that's the only reason why I'm annoyed.
2: It's pretty poor form, isn't it? When all three of us, um, the the little mini league we set up, just so we know how we all stand in comparison to each other. I got less than the global average, and I still topped the uh, topped the table between the three of us this week. Tom, are you sort of feeling pretty similar to Jonesy?
4: I mean, I, I'm as it stands, I, I'm not, it's not. I'm not here to have a go at anyone, but I absolutely hate Sun as the best of the times. And last week when he got more points, I was like, I, it's either I hate him or I hate him and he gets me FPL points. So I drag him in this week and same "Mills, two points, mate. Excellent. I've had Arnold in there since game one. I think he's got one clean sheet. He gets a booking every other week.
2: I'm bidding uh, Alexander like, he, Arnold. He's
4: doing my head in. I'm about, I think after the international break, I'm going to have to come out with some new ideas, get a wild card out there and uh, try and make something happen. Because Pio, you're definitely in sight, mate. 20 points yeah. is nothing.
2: It's not massive, is it? But i am definitely bidding in Alexander-Arnold this week. I saved up yeah. a transfer. So there's a double him and Pulisic who I uh, just kept faith with from the beginning of the season, thinking he was going to be the new Hazard this year. And because... Uh, the first bit of his name sounds like my surname um, But no, Alexander Arnold and Pudisic out for me this week Jonesy, how does the overall We Are West Ham Fantasy League look? So all the listeners can join on cny 6 ou is the Fantasy Premier League code if you want to join I think you still can How's that looking at the moment? I think Rudy Eagling was top uh, last Monday When we recorded the pod with Tony Cotty How's it looking now? Um, and
3: Rudy Eagling still tops the league. Consistency in a good way, uh, as opposed to my inconsistency. Um, yeah, Rudy Eagling's Moises Mavericks still tops the league by uh, 19 points. It's a, a nice little cushion at the top there. 65 points this week for Rudy. Paul Melton, close behind on 470. Um, but there's that top four, I'm looking at it now. There's in fourth, you've got Josh Bragg with 450. Then there's another 10-point jump to Mark Anderson in third. And there's just 10 points, 10 points, and then the 19 points between first and second. So that top four beginning to pull away a little bit, which is interesting. So we um, little bow on our hands between that top four.
2: Yeah, happy days for Rudy. He seems to be, uh, his, the, his name's emerged a few times so far this season. But um, yeah, as I say, if, you, uh, if you're if you a fantasy Premier League manager and you fancy joining up and battling against me and the lads, and, well, I say battling against me and the lads, me and the lads will be in the league. You just have to scroll down yeah. really far to see any of our teams. But if you want to battle against some of the other We Are West Ham listeners who are actually good at fantasy, then you can do that with the code I just mentioned there. Lads, Brilliant show tonight, and you know we we, we I love talking to old West Ham players. What whenever we do it, it's always brilliant fun, and it's great to hear the stories. But I I was and I hope everyone takes this in the correct way. I was pleasantly really surprised with Craig tonight. He was absolutely brilliant. Loved hearing those stories. It was, uh, yeah, just great to hear from him. Great anecdotes. And uh, again, another, another guy from a different part of the world uh, came over, You know, played, I think it's fair to say, a lot of West Ham fans will remember him as, as a number two, as a backup goalkeeper at the club. Still clearly has a soft spot for them and his, his time here. Jonesy, just brilliant stuff to hear from Craig, even though you're only there for half of it. Um, just an, another brilliant guest for the podcast.
3: Yeah, an absolute pleasure talking to Craig tonight. Um, some of the stories he gave us about Paolo and Harry Redknapp and you know John Moncur and some of those really cool, great stories from inside the dressing room and, and from the training ground that you know fans probably never heard of or just enjoy listening to. And it's great to have you know hear those stories from from players that you know fans just look back on with with fond memories. So um, yeah, Craig, just an absolute gem absolutely definitely definitely my favorite episode ever
2: <laughs> there you go massive bold statements from here yeah, tonight but... that old phantom hammer really got to you the other week then <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you're a new man you're a new <laughs> man since then um but tom you uh did us the um did me and craig and the we OS listeners the honor of actually turning up for the entire interview unlike your BOSAM colleague, James Jones. What did you make having spoken to Craig for the entire time that he gave up his time to join us?
4: Mate, I, I'm with Jones. I really, I've not enjoyed a, an interview. I've done more in anything, in any work of whatever I've done in work or this. I think it's one of the most enjoyments I've ever got out of speaking to, to someone. He was knowledgeable, hilarious anecdotes. And it's so, like you say, it's so nice to hear from someone who, who's willing to give us an insight into what it was actually like. And some of the stories and, and say a bit about his person and his colleagues. And he's clearly got a good relationship with everyone in that squad. And it's amazing to hear it from, from that point of view. And that's why we do this type of stuff. So mate, it, yeah, absolute pleasure to have him on. And, uh, we could do another 45 minutes with him. I'm sure he'd still come out with some absolute bangers. And, uh, Long may that continue. We've had a great run of guests. Obviously, I wasn't here last week with Tony Cotley. Not a bad, uh, not a bad replacement, lads. But yeah, happy days, mate. It is really good to have these bike blokes on coming on and and willing to talk about all things West Ham. It's brilliant. It makes it
2: exactly, exactly yeah. that. And uh, yeah, so we will. Endeavour to keep bringing you uh, high level ex West Ham guests like Craig, Tony Cotty, the week before, of course, Tony Carr, the week before that. We've got some in the pipeline, so keep tuning back in. Hello, as we always say uh, in the last few weeks, to so any new listeners, they're still creeping up. Uh, really appreciate any of you existing guys who are uh, obviously passing spreading the word a bit of the we are west ham podcast available on all your major platforms of course follow us on twitter at we are underscore west ham congratulations of course to the competition winner who won a free west ham united shirt for this season there will be more giveaways so like i say do head over to our twitter at we are underscore west ham and keep your eye out for more giveaways that will be running through the season. We're on Instagram. And of course we are on YouTube. Uh, so, Go down to the description in this podcast if you haven't already and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can see and watch the show being recorded uh, as well as listen on your podcast platforms. Like usual, you'll have Craig Forrest tonight in his fetching Puma jacket, but you will notice his curly Roberto Baggio style buffon that he used to style or model when he was playing for West Ham. Has Disappeared, but still brilliant to have Craig on. So head on over to our YouTube uh, link to the channel in the description below on this podcast if you want to head over to there. Great show, as ever, lads. Uh, unlucky to lose at Liverpool at the weekend. A sign for sure of how far the club has come that we're disappointed with only losing by the odd goal at Anfield. A draw against Manchester City the week before. I think you, uh, we would have all taken that For those two games and before the season. We're doing all right. Fulham at home this weekend. Huge game. Could this be the beginning of something special, or could it be back to the same old West Ham? Stick with us, keep the faith, up the hammers, and we'll see you next week.
1: Hi, I'm Craig Forrest, and you're listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. Podcast Network.